Leather and Limits. I'm Dartex. With me here are Knox and Kay. Starting to speak about labels, consent, and vetting today. I am Kay. And I am Knox. God, I hope so, or I'd be really worried. That would be weird. <laughs> I mean, Certainly. To each their own, but... So, labels. Yes. <laughs> Which part of that do we want to start with first? Oh, man. <laughs> so much. There's so much. Um, they're useful, but but they can also be damaging, too. Uh, okay. And about half the time, I see them used incorrectly. and People are actually hurting themselves with them. I'll agree with that. Yeah. It, it's unfortunate, because they... They put themselves in a box sometimes where they're using a definition that's already been used by people for sometimes decades or more, and they just kind of drape it over themselves like a cape, and they're like, well, this is mine now, and it's like, but nobody's going to see it that way. Right, and uh, when I get on my soapbox, (laughs) there's two different types of labels. There's the box. And there's the sticker. We yes. want to use the sticker and not cram yourself into a box you don't fit in. Oh, definitely. Well, I think part of it, too, is like the just the way kink culture has shifted. People feel like they need labels unique to themselves. And so they're separating themselves from groups now. And it's like, no, I'm, I have to be so individual. I need my own labels. And that's why they're changing the definitions that have been used for you know, 20 to 50 years. No, agreed. And it's unfortunate because that's, that's what they end up doing is they adopt a label that they think fits them just enough. And then they just start telling people it means this now. And they don't tell anybody in a way that they try to constructively like get people to change their thinking. They just adopt it for themselves and say, this is what it is for me. And they expect Mm -hmm. you. And the key right there is that they expect you to just adopt it the way they see it. And it doesn't matter if you've never heard it before or you've been using it a totally different way for 30 years. And that's just not how people work. <laughs> right, that's oh, not I... how communication works. Exactly. No, and that's that's why they're over-labeling, I think, mm-hmm. because, like... Exactly. I mean, before we start calling out specific labels, but, I mean, yeah, like, I've I've noticed that there's a tendency, especially when people come into kink, and they've done all of their online research, and they're starting to dip their toe into uh, in-person meetups and things like that, right? They've read these definitions and think, oh, yeah, that fits me, but they don't have any, like, hands-on experience. Right. And so they're in for a whole world of shock when they start doing these things and realize, oh, oh, I thought it meant something else. You know, and I'll use, like, the term pickup play as an example. Because depending on where you go, even within the United States, right? Like, if you say, I'm engaging in pickup play, for some people, that may be a predetermined, pre-negotiated scene where a couple goes into the same venue and pretends that they don't know each other and fakes picking up a stranger. But then to other people, pickup play is casual cruising within a dungeon to see if you can find a play partner you've never met before that might be a stranger. And so if you don't understand those two definitions and you say, well, I'm into pickup play, a lot of people are going to instantly assume, oh, you're polyamorous. 
Yeah. You know, or, oh, you're actually into something else, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the, my short journey into Sacramento's area was, you know, there's a vague leather contingent, although they're mostly focused a little further north, and that just happens to be like the south end of their boundary space. Um, but there was quite a few people who did pick up play in that area, or in some cases, pay to play. And what a mm-hmm. lot of groups I found, whether it was Kick and Discord or whatever, like the first thing they always asked me was, can you host? Was the big focus for everybody <laughs> is, is hosting an option. Like, there's no, there was no open venue for them to use, even on a low level. And that was just very odd to me. Yeah. I can say that. Not so it is when we're, it is, but... <laughs> when we're looking at labels, um, I had some conversations here this week. And uh, <laughs> it was interesting. It, it related uh, to our topic here. Um, and somebody is brand new. They've maybe got a... a you know, they had a, a kinky boyfriend or something. Right. And, right. And they, neither of them knew anything when they started. So they just kind of made up their own labels and, you know, they read something somewhere and that seems to fit. And here we go. And this is what this means to us. And you were, you were relating to that. So, but uh, she says, well, I'm a slave. That's, that's, that fits me. And then I start talking to her. And that doesn't fit her. But she has this fantastic fantasy ideal in her head of what this slave should be. And she likes that. But she doesn't fit that mold. She has to make the label fit her. Which is normal, right? Yeah. So this is the the box versus the the sticker that I was was referring to earlier. (laughs) So the box is... Imagine a solid wooden box and you have to cram yourself and contort yourself uncomfortably to fit into this box. And it takes a lot of work sometimes to get there because you're trying to match this ideal that's in your head. And when you get there, you're unhappy and you see a lot of people, a lot of people fit this, that this is what I'm supposed to be because this is how I identify. And they make themselves miserable. They're unhappy. They're depressed. They 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 question themselves. Like, who am I? What am this is? This is supposed to be comfortable for me, and it's not. Um, and they they feel this discomfort, and it's the problem. The root problem is the label. Is that they have identified themselves as something they're not and then tried to cram themselves into an ideal that doesn't fit them. Instead of the box, you can say, I have slave-like qualities, or I have this quality fits me. And it's like the ingredients on a, on a, a carton, right? Okay, so there's some wheat in there, and there's, and there's some sugar, and there's some eggs. And yes, you know what the ingredients are, but you can put those ingredients in, in different ways and different forms and methods to make many, many completely different things. Right. Same kind of, and, and people are the same way. No two people are the same, even those who uh, fit within the same kind of dynamic. Like I'm all about the TPE dynamic. Right. So those who say I am a slave and 
I fit into this dynamic or I am a submissive and I fit into this dynamic or I'm whatever. Um, if they say I am this and I am like me, uh, you know, I am a sadist. But when I say I am a sadist does not mean that I am the same as that other sadist over there. Right. Right. My okay. methods and, and ideas and everything I do are completely different than what Dartax and what Knox will do. Right. Well, and it's no different than being a dominant isn't the same as being a sadist. And there's a reason we refer to the both separately. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, they share common ground. I know plenty of sadists that top in a scene, but have no desire to be in a power exchange. Like that does exist too. Yeah. That's very common. So yeah, you're, you're the healthy way to use labels. Excuse me. The healthy way to use labels is to uh, identify pieces and parts of, of who and what you are. So if somebody who's just getting to know you has a general vague idea of what you're all about, as right. opposed to trying to completely define yourself by this ideal that you've made up in your head or you read somewhere. Correct. Um, if, you're, if you're trying to fit an ideal, you're doing it wrong. You're going to hurt yourself or you're going to be really unhappy with the result once you have done years of work to try and cram yourself into this box. No, absolutely. That's true. Go ahead. No, no, I I think you're right. I I think Kay hit the nail on the head with that. Because 100% agree. Well, how you identify is is how you communicate. Mm. You know, and if you're trying to find like-minded people or you're trying to find partners, you have to be able to communicate using the same language. Right. Exactly. And that's why labels are helpful. But the problem is, you know, again, if you're using labels inappropriately or you're applying them incorrectly, you know, that's going to limit your effectiveness when you communicate, which means you're not going to find the partners that you actually want. And so what's going to happen is you're going to talk a good game across, you know, whatever messaging platform you're on. And then you get in front of each other and you're like, oh, shit, what do I do now? Well, and the worst part of that is that being able to enunciate what that label means to you in a way that is communicative, not aggressive in that environment when you finally meet someone face-to-face matters. Because someone may be willing to listen to your particular idea of what a slave is if you're able to enunciate it in a way that is not combative, that is not, this is my label and you can't take it from me. As opposed to, this is the way I see it and the way I've been using it. Mm-hmm. Because whether you're incorrect at that point or just misguided or you use it a certain way, you're giving the other person a platform to adjust with you, not against you. And that makes all the difference. You know, it's yeah. not unreasonable to be, you know, I love when people forget about things as simple as, you know, slave does not automatically mean you're not an S type. Or it cancels out that label as a blanket. It's still a submissive at the heart of things, whether they're a slave, a, whatever particular format it may be, a worshiper, an owned pet, pick something. Mm-hmm. We simply refer to them colloquially as S-types because people didn't like hearing submissive in that capacity, even though that's what we meant. It simply meant the submissive in a power exchange, no matter what form it may take. And now everybody has to be, well, this is my slave heart, and this is my submissive side, and this is my service. And it's there's nothing wrong with any of those, but you're not magically any less a submissive. Sure. 
And there's nothing wrong with using both identifiers to broaden the way you explain yourself to people. There's nothing wrong with adopting that individual label either. It's just you need to be able to communicate it in a way that is recognized by those around you if you want them to understand what you mean. Well, I think like the example you just used of people saying, here's my slave heart, here's my submissive side, and here's, you know, how I bottom. I actually have issues with that breakdown, to be honest. (laughs) Well, and it's, and I'll, you know, I have no problem explaining why, but I mean, it's, to me, it's like, sure, everybody has different facets of their personality. And obviously, every time you go into a scene or a play encounter, you know, your goals and going into it are going to be different based on your mood or how you feel, you know, if you're sick that day, whatever. But I think that right there is breaking it down so far that you're actually now ignoring the whole person. You know, like as a dominant, when I go into a scene with somebody and I ask them, you know, Hey, how do you want to feel when we're done? Or how do you want to feel during, right? Are you wanting a cathartic scene where you start to cry because you're trying to deal with some kind of emotional drama? Right. Are you looking to feel better and more energized when we're done so that you're floating on a cloud and you have a wonderful day? Or are you, are you looking for that kind of a scene that's going to put you to sleep because you just need to be, have the shit be out of you. Right. (laughs) Right. I don't care about your slave heart, but yeah. (laughs) Right. But I don't care about your slave heart. Right. I don't care about, you know, your power exchange needs and stuff in that specific moment. Right. Because at that point, you know, basically you're turning yourself over me to, to me to be a vehicle. You know, you're, you're kind of reducing yourself to a very base level. And so to sit there and say, well, my slave heart needs this to be fulfilled, but also my submissive side needs this other thing. I'm one person. I can't cater to three people in a scene when I'm playing with one person. No, that's unrealistic. Absolutely. And it work anyway, because in the scene, you're still a bottom first and the rest second. Like, <laughs> Right. You know, and there's a reason you sought me out to play with. So it's exactly. like you knew this about me and how I played beforehand, hopefully. No, you know, absolutely. and hopefully in our negotiation, I've picked up on what your actual needs are versus what you're articulating, because a lot of times those are different. Yes, but I mean, that's and that's what I mean is when people start breaking it down, like, oh, I'm looking for a scene where, you know, I need my slave heart engaged and I need to have a full power exchange, you know, and I'm trying to negotiate that kind of a dynamic. I think people just pigeonhole themselves so badly that they're they're actually shortchanging all of their interactions. No, 100 percent. And that's exactly where my issues usually stem from is. You're so busy draping this identity label on yourself that you're actually excluding yourself from the community instead because you're embracing it so hard you're not being willing to be reasonable about it. And that's that's probably the biggest part right there is you're not being reasonable about it. It goes back to – you've both heard me call the vocal minority before um, on a variety of subjects, but it, it definitely applies in the King community at large where the noisiest people tend to have the smallest percentage. I mean, technically BDSM as a whole, it counts in that category, but besides the point. Um, But things like that, like being specific about being a slave, if you're not willing to recognize that the community at large may certain have certain perceptions about you as a result of using that label, 
regardless of how you see it, then you're choosing not to care what they think at a level that may reduce you from interaction at the level you want. And you have to be willing to do both. And I think that's the part that the, the greatest misunderstanding of all is it's, I don't care what your label is to a point, and there are points where that simply won't apply, and there's quite a few of those, but I'm willing to listen to what you define your label as if you're able to communicate in a way that does not come across like I'm wrong for thinking it's any other way. And not being willing to work with me instead of against me to adjust to your perceptions. Now, speaking Absolutely. of perception, um, the effectiveness of communication uh, is very, very important. If uh, I've had an entire conversation, and uh, many times actually, but had an entire conversation, and by the time we're done, she agrees with everything I'm saying, and then I ask her to explain it to me. And then she goes on this other tangent that has nothing to do with anything that I just said, trying to explain to me what she thinks I said. Yeah, That's ineffective, right? We both must be on the same page, whether it's, hey, you need this during a scene. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I am going to... Uh, I'm going to do these things. I had my first public uh, chem scene um, in a, at a house party here a couple of weeks ago. That was fun. Um, oh, to trying to articulate, hey, here's what I'm using, and this could actually be a danger to your house and your and your pets if I'm not careful. Right to the to a homeowner, homeowner that I've never met before. Uh, that was an interesting conversation too. Um, but I have to be. You have to be able to articulate everything clearly. Yes. In order to uh, be effective with this. And if you cannot, if you do not, um, there's going to be some major issues and they're going to pop up their ugly head uh, very quickly and suddenly and all of a sudden in the middle of the scene when when she's all chained up and now she, there's a panic attack because she never told you that she had some triggers. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think we all have at least one of those stories. Oh over man! Time. Oh my right? god! Yeah. So so yeah, but because she, you know, I, in my case, when I when I had that kind of situation pop up, she didn't think those triggers were important because huh. they didn't fit her definition of what she thought she was. God. Oh. Well, that's awkward. I... Yeah. Slaves don't panic. They just take whatever they they're given, right? They they can just they can just suck it up. Her her job is to suck it up. Whatever I decide to deliver deliver upon what, her ass. What part of being a slave means you're not human first? Exactly. <laughs> These are human I mean, issues, in general. not role issues at that point. <laughs> right. And you're entitled to them. That's kind of the point of why we use safe words and check in, even at the slave level. Like that doesn't magically go away. <laughs> Right. Sometimes I want to see your meltdown. Uh, also true, but usually I'm going to warn you in advance that that's going to happen too. Right. <laughs> I'm going to beat you till you cry from it, and I'm going to enjoy it. I mean, Absolutely. And most of the time, they smile when you say that. So I mean, 
<laughs> but have I had those those individual scenes where somebody's triggers hit? Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I've I've thankfully not had the the issue Kay has in that regard of where they sucked it up because they were afraid of X Y Z. Thank God. Mm-hmm. I, I've been close, but I've I've been in those positions where the trigger goes off and they're basically falling apart, and you recognize it's not because they're flying in subspace, and you're immediately like, "Hold up, <laughs> we need to talk. We can resume afterwards if you're actually okay, but we're going to stop for a minute and have this conversation." But but no buts. <laughs> this is how this works. This is why I'm the top. <laughs> basically. Like, you're trusting me to do this this way when it matters, not just beat you till you're happy. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> fun, and we all enjoy that part. That's kind of why we're doing it. But the but, other part of that is being able to stop doing that mm-hmm. and deal with the situation at hand, whether it's you sucked it up because in your mind a slave doesn't talk or any number of other reasons why. And that goes back to the label issue of... If you're in your head going, I don't talk, I'm supposed to just shut up and take it. It doesn't matter that I'm going through a rape episode in my brain and I'm losing my damn mind. No, that's not how it works. And you need to know that's not how it works. So communicating the way you see your labels makes so much difference. Yeah. It's also responsibility, too, I think. Because, like, you have a responsibility to communicate effectively. You have a responsibility to be honest about what you're thinking and feeling and how it applies to you. And I feel like when you start abusing labels and you start just using them really without any consequence or anybody questioning you about it, you're now being an irresponsible player. You know, you're now somebody that I'm going to think twice about in interacting with because you're not communicating effectively, which means you're a low communicator. You know what I mean? Like there's so many people that pride themselves on being a high communicator, but they don't say anything of value. It's just a bunch of words. And I feel like with labels, that's what happens. It's like, I'm saying all these cool buzzwords and I'm (laughs) saying all the, all the right things to get you interested. But when push comes to shove, I didn't actually tell you anything. And I didn't actually give you the information that you needed to interact with me on a level that's going to leave us both satisfied. And that's, I hate, you know, everyone's heard me call the label monkeys, label monkeys before, but that's. So I think that's why why a lot of the communications will go sideways too, especially in the early stages. No, 100%. And it's, it's because, you know, not that they're the only ones who do it, but the reason I call them label monkeys, because they're the ones with the biggest issue with communication that are visibly that way, where you can at least pick up this and know that's what they're going to be. And it's because they're just so in tune with thinking about it that way. They're not open to the idea, despite the fact they expect you to be open with them about the way they do something or call something. They're not themselves being open-minded in return. And it's, it's this moment of, okay, I don't know who taught you how to communicate, but that's just not how it works. If you want me to be adaptable and reasonable and understanding, you have to do the same. Because maybe I might give you 
you know, the ability to understand what a switch means in your language. But it means you have to recognize I may not see it the same way and find a happy middle ground. Not just tell me how you see it and I'm going to suck it up and deal with that. That's not going to work. Especially not with someone who's had way more experience in the community than you have and has been, for lack of a better way to put it, conditioned to see it a certain way. If mm-hmm. you want me to adjust my thinking even a little bit for the allowance of your situation, you need to work with me, not against me. Or I'm just going to tune out. Exactly. Yeah. The difference is I'm going to tell you I'm tuning out and why, whether you like it or not also. <laughs> <laughs> and therein lies the difference in communication. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the issues I see, especially with people coming once, – once they kind of uh, – have experienced the the lifestyle and been around people and been part of a community for six months or a year, they're usually in line with everybody else. But the people coming in brand new, um, uh, the the Fifty Shades generation, uh, they matter. they think this and that and they whatever random stuff they've managed to read on the internet or blogs or whatever, they have these preconceived notions and they're resistant to change and what. And not just changing themselves, but they're resistant to changing the definitions of the labels that they've they think that they know. And one of the one of the problems I see is they're mislabeling themselves, and they don't understand themselves yet. Yeah, it, they exactly. get they get it in their head that this is what they are, and this is who they are, and this is how they should be perceived. And here are what they think their limits are. Well. In my experience, um, often a limit is really a fear of a desire. And there is a deep foundational desire to do this terrible thing, but because it's a terrible thing, they're resistant to it and they're afraid of it and they're afraid of their own desire of it. And the communication with themselves must be honest. And and often people I I work with and play with and, and talk to on a regular basis um when they don't have a whole lot of experience they will uh, resist the idea of of you know hey let's challenge those limits and see where you're really at it doesn't mean we we have to go make you lick toilets or anything right i mean we're, that's not where we have to go Thank God. But yes but we have to challenge the idea of those limits in an mm-hmm. honest way in order to see where are you really? Is there a trauma behind that limit? Or is there is it a fear of enjoying this terrible thing? Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it, it it can go any direction. You know, I have had uh I have had interactions with people, needles, for example. They hate getting shots, they hate in the needles, right? But then yeah. uh they find this euphoria when they have a needle play scene and it's confusing to them because they hate needles. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, that's accurate. Yeah. It goes back to, Oh shit. I think I'm into this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So any, any given limit, I don't care what it is. No, for sure. any given limit could potentially be a kink in uh, that's being masked. And, mm-hmm. and uh, for anybody new that, that manages to listen to this, don't be afraid to challenge those limits. Don't let your fear get in the way of your fun. Um, if you explore it and explore it with somebody right, 
that that's going to be responsible with it. Uh, it's fine. It could be just a conversation. It could be, you know, bringing those things out that, you know, might be a limit and challenging it that way in an actual scene, understanding that we're testing this limit and pushing against it and seeing where we go with it. Um, but then that goes back to the labels. Mm-hmm. This, a limit is a type of label. Yes. And, and yeah, so if you say that, um, uh, here, here's one, I, I see this all the time, the, the, the word rape, it gets censored all over the place. Nobody likes to, to, to see it sometimes, and other people get off on, on the idea. Um, but then we, we've replaced it with CNC. But mm-hmm. CNC has such a broad range of potential, mm-hmm. uh, of just possibilities, right? And where it, it almost doesn't mean anything right. anymore. So uh, you say CNC, and then you say, well, what do you mean? Right, you, you really to. didn't communicate. Yeah, because you you're you're not communicating anything because the the definition's so very broad. Oh no, absolutely. C and C almost counts. The way I always started to see it, and it's not that I want other people to start calling it the same way necessarily. Um, but I've always looked at it as you have you know what considered regular or normal play, like impact and its sensation play, and things on the surface that it doesn't matter what your comfort level is are a little more acceptable or broad stroke. And then there's edge play, of course, which we all know and many of us love, whether it's chem play, fire play, needle play, blood play, right. and everybody's got their niches in there. C and C is almost a separate category from all of that. Because it has so many moving parts. And they require a different degree of discussion to achieve where your happy medium is. It almost requires a separate consultation process over anything else, even with someone you already know. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it does have that big of a broad stroke because it could be the difference between, you know, on server we made the joke about kidnapping someone, stringing them up in a van with hard points and having a good old time with them and then dumping them off at home. And that could be one thing, or a kidnapping, or a rape scene, or a a medical scene, or there is so many things it could become, and go from any number of steps along the way. And so just saying I'm into C&C is like, well, that's great, but what do you mean by that? Yeah. Do you and like then that defeats the like point of like that both? entire label. Do you want your clothes ripped off? Like, there's a variety of things on there, and not all of them may apply to the way you want it. So to yeah. assume the blanket works across the board... It doesn't. No, it can't. Realistically, it just can't. That's not even being exacting about it or picky. It's recognizing how broad the category is. It's part of the reason you will never see me do CNC with anyone that isn't an intimate partner. I mean, and I've heard of people that do otherwise with regular play partners and more power to them. Like, I'm not judging necessarily, but I couldn't personally because there's so many moving parts involved and you have to really know the person to really make the most of that whole situation for both of you, especially with so many things that can go horribly wrong. Exactly. Yeah, that takes a different level of relationship. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you don't just bumble fuck into that. God, I hope not. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, people do, right? Like, we have to say that. Oh, no, absolutely. Do. 
But yeah, the reality is that's so dangerous. I mean, it's it touches on what Kay was just saying about when people come, especially the Fifty Shades generation is, mm-hmm. I really hate calling them that, but it's more accurate than I wish it was. You know, especially post-lockdown where there's people more and more coming to King because they've been bored enough to find shit on the internet about it. Right. And, you know, everybody's heard me refer to the surface feeders, as it were. Um, (laughs) And that's just because the way it works for me. Like, I look at Kink as this giant deep pool and we're all swimming at the bottom because, you know, we've been through all the fun. And, you know, especially those of us who've been in it for some time, decades Uh or more. But you look at people who are first coming in and three quarters of what's out there on Discord alone. We won't even talk about Kick or Collar Space or... Even Facebook, God help us. But they're out there. The harem groups, the auction groups, the... We could pick a feature, you know, mm-hmm. of what makes right. it toxic. And we all know them, we all love and hate them in varying degrees of stupid. But they're there whether we like it or not. And three quarters of this generation's kinksters, this is what they see when they first come to kink. That. Whether we like it or not, that is what they get to know as kink. That is their idea of BDSM because it's what's being taught to them. So they come into places when they finally reach places like ours, which there are few and far between valid regular servers of community members who are actively involved at the life level, not just the digital level. And we just operate differently because we live it. It's a little Mm -hmm. different than watching someone on a webcam. And we know this because we have to. And they come to the rest. And it's not making fun of anyone necessarily. It's there's a difference in the way the experience applies. Yeah. And trust me, I'm not laughing to belittle that. Well, it's you, you learn very quickly that there's no practical application on the digital level. That's going to be the same as one-on-one. It's just not. Yeah. There's a reason that I've always made the joke about, you'll never see me have drop if I was in an auction group, because you're never going to do anything so intense that I'd feel it. Right. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this is where they pick up their labels in many cases, too. So we have people who come from, you know, a great example is the word brat. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Uh, yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That reaction is instant and it's visceral and it's valid. It is. And there's a reason you have it. it yeah, there is. And the problem yep. is we all know that there are brats out there who do not give the label shame who recognize the difference. The problem is there are so so many who've come to us as surface feeders with that label now mm-hmm. who are, well, I'm a brat, so just deal with it. And it's like, no, you're self-entitled. Shut the hell up. You're disrespecting brats too. <laughs> I've actually discovered something. I own a, I own a brat. So I've discovered <laughs> so something. <do> I. <laughs> um, right? That brat, right, so. the, the label of brat, um, and she's part of brat groups and things like this. And I've been able to observe just broad stroke behavior of, of these brats and they're, and they're doing, they're do, they're having fun, right? You say, Oh yes, I want a little snack. And they bring me like a, a one half cube, uh, inch cube of whatever cantaloupe that she's giving me, right. Or dragon fruit in my case. And well, you said little, right? Ha ha ha. Yeah. Go fix it. Um, the the brat is just broad stroke categorically intelligent 
and will run circles around 90% of the people that try to dominate them. And they're using it most of the time that I have found. They are using it as a defense mechanism to keep away the people that can't handle their strong personality. Yes. And, you know, somebody says, I'm a brat. I am immediately interested. I'm like, okay, what makes you a brat? Show me. Because... <laughs> Because I'm I'm that guy that can take a brat and trap them with their own words and and you know uh, I uh, I'll layer um, uh, you know they'll they'll try to turn my words around on me but I I will layer loopholes on them so that they trap themselves and I can do shit like that and it's a lot of fun and I can play with their brat and and enjoy it and keep it the fun and the way it's supposed to be. Um, others just get angry because they've been beaten and they don't like to lose. Um, and so the ones that uh, can't handle the brat, no shame on them, right? No. But it takes a certain personality to be able to, to handle and manage somebody who labels themselves as a brat. And I mean, there are those who will like take this brat <laughs> label and use it as an excuse to... Um, disrespect the dynamic well yes. I'm, I'm a brat i'm gonna do whatever the hell i want and there's nothing you could do to stop me Meh. right yep yep well if there's no power exchange there then nope. okay yeah you're right there's nothing i can do to stop you and i'm not gonna try exactly mm -hmm. <laughs> no, which is my problem yeah so that that's actually my problem with brats and i'll tell you like i and that's why i i tell everybody i don't deal with brats i refuse because to me, and the way my dominance works and the way my brain works, if you're bratting at me, that's disrespectful. I'm not here to force you. You're coming to me because you want my dominance, not the other way around. I'm not dependent on your submission. And I understand the whole concept of, you know, hey, you know, I want you to earn it and that kind of a thing. And I, I appreciate that type of play style. But to me, bratting is just inherently disrespectful. And like... The flip side to that, and Dartax said it earlier, we have dominant brats as well, and I'm married to one. <laughs> I think most <laughs> sadists are one way or another. It's just a question no, of what level you're at. And it, well, and it's funny because, like, my husband has the nickname King Brat, and our <laughs> slave gave him that for a damn good reason. He's he's absolutely bratty, and like, so when he's you know, so like where my, when I'm in a scene, I'm very serious. I'm a very intense player. I'm very focused, not necessarily the most verbal because I do hyper focus and I, and I hit top space very easily. His is completely different. He has absolutely no problem being playful and giggling and still being sadistic. Right. But he loves playing with brats. He loves making brats cry. And that's, that's like a, a huge thing for him. Like he really enjoys those types of scenes. That and I enjoy delicious. watching him play. Yeah, because it is fun, right? Right. And so through watching him engage in that, I've got a better understanding, obviously, of the different types of brats. But one of the things that I keep finding is people use the label brat to cover up bad behavior. And a lot of it has to, and I'm, I'm happy to call it what it is. It's the whole rise of the internet culture. And I'm totally going to, you know, pick on the e-girls the e for a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, the, the whole thing of, you know, I've got my cute little cat ears and my sexy glasses and, you know, I shut up and I'm kinky, right? And 
they, they're not understanding that by calling yourself a brat, well, me as a dominant now has an expectation of you and how you're going to behave. I now have an expectation of how, you know, you're going to try to interact with me when you tell me that you're a brat. Yeah. And so, you know, and so just coming out saying, well, I'm a brat and I'm being playful and I'm doing it all the time. Tee hee hee. This is my personality. No, actually it's not, you know, it's, it's a learned thing. It's almost like an affectation that you've adopted to give an excuse to your behavior and giving an excuse to you behaving poorly towards other dominants or even other submissives, you know, because I've seen a lot of different, you know, brats interact with other brats. And when you get those different types together, it, it can be so toxic, you know, and you don't see it the same way with the dominance, you know, the brat doms. But I, I feel like the more that that culture has like really blossomed, you know, especially recently. Um, and I'll blame Instagram for that. No shame. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, ever since that's really blossomed and these girls have found out, oh, I can get attention this way. You know, men pay attention to me. You know, yeah, absolutely. TikTok and other things. Oh, and they're linked together like, usually. It, well, and of course they are, right? But yeah. now you've got that, that rise of people that are like, wait a minute, I can behave outlandishly this way. I'm cute. People give me attention. So therefore I'm a brat. And they don't realize, no, you're just being a toxic human being within the BDSM culture. Right. And, that's and now exactly you're actually the... damaging our culture because you're bringing in these horrible ideas and trying to reinforce them with other people that don't know any better. And now we've got this whole generation of people that thinks, oh, well, now I'm a brat. It, exactly. And it goes full circle to what I was saying about these people that come in with the surface feeders. And that's whether it's through the e-girls, which are still part of that as far as I'm concerned, too. They're also part sure. of the surface feeding. You know, the e-girls, the the accountants who – there's nothing wrong with OnlyFans, but there's that contingent that are just like the rest of that category where they don't know what they're doing. But they're acting like they do and mislabeling it for others. Mm -hmm. The auctions, the harems, all of that. And they come in and they learn brat that way. And all of them have it wrong. Yeah. And I say that because I have worked with brats on and off for most of two decades. Siri is a brat. <laughs> but you know what? The moment it comes to a point of disrespect, she'd stop long before it got that far. Because it will never cross that border. Yeah. She knows better. For her, not for me. It's not that I'd get upset. It's that she is not that disrespectful. And that's the key ingredient. She recognizes what a brat is supposed to be for herself. Mm -hmm. Once we enter a scene, all of that is gone. Because that's not where it belongs either. Right. And that's the trick, is that she understands it because she did learn what the difference is for herself and adopts it for herself correctly. She is but there's also a level of respect. To be. Exactly. That's, that's her respecting you as well, though, and right. her respecting herself. It's But that's the thing, is it's about the fact that she recognizes it for herself, not just for my benefit. Right. right. And it's... She is obviously willing to be snarky and sassy and everything, and we're playful about it with others. But when it comes to our roles, it's inviolate, mm -hmm. whether it's behind closed doors or not. She has never, ever challenged my authority in a way that would be disrespectful or even close to it. And it's, again, it's not about earning my wrath. It's that she wouldn't because her personal opinion doesn't go that way. 
it wouldn't be right. Which, granted, of course it's not, but the point is that she knows that for herself. And that's the trade-off, is she recognizes what a brat is supposed to be for herself, because a brat is, for lack of a better way to put it, brat is closer to an adjective than it is a role, as far as I'm concerned. You can be a bratty dom, a bratty sub, a bratty sadist. Mm -hmm. Brat is a behavioral type, not a role choice. Right. Because... To make it a role choice is where that delineation starts breaking down where, oh, I can just be snarky. Well, no, you still have a submissive role first. If you don't understand that, then maybe you need to stop, stay a while, and listen a bit longer first. Because you can be bratty. God knows enough sadists are. But you need to know where that boundary is supposed to be or you have no business being a brat. Because Agreed. the moment you self-entitled and disrespect the power exchange, you're not anything. And I will absolutely call it out. Um, it hasn't happened. It happened in the Minnesota community. It didn't so much in the Florida community, thank God. Mm-hmm. Granted, that was a long time ago. Sure. But like, there was a case where I was at an event with a bunch of people and someone was trying to be snarky to me who I barely knew. And I look them straight in the eye and say, you have a choice of walking away from me now or being called out for being disrespectful. And I don't care which one you choose. Because I don't care who you think you are. You don't know me from Adam to have any right whatsoever to talk to me that way. Well, I'm a brat. I don't give a damn. You're not my brat. And I assure you, if you were, you wouldn't have been that stupid in the first place. The owner of the group holding the event Pick them off to the side and explain to them in no certain terms. If they did that with anyone else that night, they would be ejected summarily and not welcome back. There you go. Because that is not how you comport yourself. Right. You know, now if your dom is a pushover and lets you get away with that between the two of you, that is entirely between the two of you, whether I agree with it or not. Mm-hmm. But you don't get to do that to anyone else. Right. And I sure as hell won't let you. <laughs> And rightfully so, right? Exactly. Exactly. But that's recognizing, it's a great example of what we said in the first place about the difference between a brat in the standard sense and a label, and how the label gets delineated to the point where we have people who are, unfortunately the majority, are giving that label such a bad name. And they're making it so that the moment many people hear it, they immediately cringe and expect the worst. And unfortunately that isn't fair for the handful of bratty subs out there who are actually great Mm -hmm. because they're being ruined because the moment they say I'm also a brat or even mention that they are there's an immediate change in the way we perceive them and that's a shame because for every self-entitled one there's a great one like Syria or any number of others that are on server that can be sassy but are good people well I think the other thing (laughs) you've you've got oversaturation too like Because like, and especially like for me, because I deal with real world kink and I'm actually in a kink community that's not just online. One of the things that I see is that, and each community kind of has their thing that they gravitate towards, right? Like you'll go to certain areas and they're very rope heavy. You go to other areas, they're very impact heavy. Out here where I'm at in Los Angeles, it's very little and very brat heavy. And so now you've got... (laughs) <laughs> what I'll call market saturation, right? That's a good way to put it, though. It's accurate. It, but it, it really is. And it's and it's really interesting because, you know, as 
especially as a female dominant, to encounter how many men are identifying as bratty submissives. And I'm like, you're not a bratty submissive. You're a fuck boy. <laughs> right. You know, and it's, that didn't magically change just because you're kinky now. Like. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just because just because you're 26 years old doesn't make you less of a fuck boy. You didn't graduate to brat because you aged out of the bracket. Like, you know, and you, if you've got and I think it's easier for me to spot it with brats out here because there's so many claiming to be brats that I've seen like this wide variety between all of the gender spectrums and just how they interact with each other. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see how they try to like out brat one another. Like it's, it's like, I'm used to seeing subs trying to like out sub, especially in a leather context, right? Like I'm used to seeing, you know, the subs that are like, yeah, I'm more subservient than you are. So I'm, I'm best boy or, you know, whatever. Uh Uh-huh. You know, oh, and but now I'm seeing it with we rats. Get into that. That's a whole different fucking soapbox. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. That's we'll why I'm screwing that, in that in one. Another episode. <laughs> but like, but seriously, like I'm watching these brats come up, and they're like, "Oh no, I'm the brattiest brat to ever brat," and I'm I'm the I'm the uber brat. You know, and look at all the the younger, newer brats. You know, as they circle me, and I teach them how to brat my my true way of bratting, and it's like. That's so cringy, you know, and again, it's propagating that toxic perception. Yeah, unfortunately. And that, you know, and it it's like, goes, go ahead, go ahead. No, well, I'm just saying, like, I wish people, when they find a label, whatever it is, whatever, sadist, right, primal, whatever you want to call yourself. Right. Dive into it and actually learn about it before you start yes. claiming it. You know, like, educate yourself, talk to other people who identify that way. And see what it means for them, not just a self-identification, but their play style. You know, if you want to call yourself the Uber brat, knock yourself out. But understand the expectations that come with people looking at you as an Uber brat. You know what I mean? Like walk in the room and have that label on your pin tag. You better assume (laughs) certain people are going to look at you a certain way, whether you like it or not. And I see it a lot, like online, people are like, oh, I don't understand why I can't find a dominant. I don't understand why I can't find play partners. And it's like, well, because, again, it comes down to communication. You're you're communicating like crap, but you're also mislabeling yourself to the point that you're weeding out potential play partners or potential life partners, yes. you know, because you've pigeonholed yourself into these these niches. And I think bratting is a niche. You know, just like sadism, right? Sadism is a niche. I agree with that. Not everybody can run around, oh, I'm a sadist. Well, no, I like to spank people, but that doesn't make me sadistic. It's how I spank people that makes it sadistic. Right. Right. And so, Otherwise, like, you just be a spanko, and that's a whole different classification. <laughs> which is a anyway. whole different thing. <laughs> right. So it's I like, mean, that you has know, its and, own kink, for God's sakes. And for good reason, right? But, like, you know, like, I, today, I just had a, a guy, I'll say a guy, he's a kid. He's like 23. Reach out to me. Well, I'm, I'm 40. So like at 23, you're still feral, but like, totally understand. He, he reaches out to me, you know, and professes the, I'm, I'm an ABDL age player, whatever on my profile. It very clearly states that I'm, I'm not into age play. I respect it as a fetish and a kink and I hold space for those people, but like, it's not a kink. I will engage in. Totally. I will make sure you have a safe space to do it. You're just not going to do it with me. And that's totally And right. on my profile, I mean, if anybody's ever seen my life, you know damn good and well what I'm into. <laughs> There's blood play everywhere. 
And he, he proceeds to tell me how he's looking for a mommy dom and all these other things. And I'm like, why did you message me? You know, like I'm, I'm, you know, did you just see the boob pick and go, ah, fuck it. Let's try it. You roll the dice and see if she answers. Like, and I mean, when I drilled days, down, many of them are still guys first, unfortunately. Well, so with this guy, it wasn't that. At the end of the day, it came down to, I see you're a female dominant. I see that you're in all these groups. And I felt like you were a safe person to reach out to. And I was like, oh, you know what? I can go with, I can work with that, right? No, I that's can, that's yeah. genuine. But then as we're talking, I'm like, do you understand what labeling yourself as an age player actually means to other people and how they view you? Right? And he was like, well, no. And I was like, you're attracting a specific type of dominant that's looking to be a caregiver. I am not a caregiver. You have a mommy. It wasn't me. You know, you have a family. I'm not it. I'm not a life coach. I'm not here to do those things for you. I literally am a beat and release kind of person. And he didn't understand that. And he didn't understand that, you know, people were actually looking for those types of dynamics. And I'm like, oh, my God, yes. There's thousands of female dominants that would love to be a mommy and would love to take care of you. Yeah. It's not me. And here's how you can tell from my profile. But that's what I mean is people jump onto FetLife, read these things, and just assume, oh, that's me. I'm into that. Start using all these buzzwords. And then get into situations like that where they realize, oh, shit, it's a real person. And now it's all falling apart and you've wasted both of our morning. And it's a great example, actually, of the whole label issue, actually going full circle back to it once again, because doms, you know, and I personally don't use a delineation because I don't care what gender you are. Dominance a dominant for me. But I recognize the need to separate because there is that difference in the way things are handled, etc. But. The moment you say you're a femdom or a dame, or you can call it whatever particular format you've heard and prefer, but there's a difference in the way people perceive you to the point where you are pigeonholed into a certain perspective, which is ridiculous because you're no differently a dominant than the rest of us, which means you may be a daddy, you may be a dominant, you may be a master, you may be a deity. Why can't you be any and all of those as well, regardless of gender? But they automatically take that off the list. It's like, oh, they're a femdom, therefore. Yes. No, that doesn't automatically mean you're all of the above. Right. You have the same wants, needs, and limits as anybody else does. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> you are not auto mommy because you're female. Like, come on. If well, anything, that know. annoys me because I'm like, there are some amazing doms out there that are hardcore sadists that are feminine. And I am all for it. Hell yeah spoken in agreement <laughs> but like <laughs> but no i mean seriously and that and that could be a topic for another day we talk about you know female dominant archetypes because i actually do a class on that you know and finding your dominant voice and mm-hmm. like what i i really again it goes back to these label things and why i hate them so bad you know porn has skewed how we view all dominance yeah. Yeah. Porn has skewed how we view bodies and, and what's acceptable with our bodies and what's normal. But so much porn, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, in the chat right now, some of the comments. I mean, I agree. Um, mm-hmm. Male dominance dealing with the pools of baby girls. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Too many. I mean, the whole. The, well, and my whole thing is the baby girl thing. 
just admit you're a sugar baby and fucking call it what it is. No, agreed. Because it gives gives those that are actually trying to be littles in the right context. And not all littles are the same for that matter. Some are into age plays, some are not. Some are into ABDL, some are not. Some are regressive, some are not. And everybody's different even within that kink. So stop pigeonholing yourselves all in the same bracket when that's not fair. Mm -hmm. That's like being self-entitled but calling yourself a brat. You're ruining it for the actual brats. Well, my other problem with that, too, is they're not always honest if they're sexual with it or not. You know, because that's and I know within, you know, the DDLG community, that's that's its own hot button. But like a lot of times you have people that are like, you'll ask them, do you separate sex and BDSM? And they'll say, oh, yeah, it's completely different for me. But then you start playing with them and they're trying to hump your leg and you're like, that's sexual. (laughs) Like, that's not like you're, you're blurring lines there. Right. Yeah. And so that's that's another thing that irritates me, because like. Every word we use in kink has meaning and it has power. And there's a reason. And, you know, when you have the submissives that have PTSD or you have submissives with significant trauma, right? They use certain terms for a reason. Yes. And as a dominant, we have to learn what those are, right? We have to ask those hard questions sometimes and have those hard conversations. But the flip side to that is, again, if you're not coming together to say, hey, you use this term. I want to make sure we're speaking the same language. What does that term mean for you? Because here's what that term means for me, you know, and come to a consensus of, okay, what's your expectation of being treated and how do you expect me to respond to you? Right. All of those matter, you know, labels, honorifics, I'll put honorifics in the same category. You know, we're talking about calling somebody baby girl or poppy you know, for me, calling somebody mistress or goddess, all of those to me have such a significant power within them. But they, again, they carry an expectation of how you're going to respond to me and how I'm going to respond to you. Yes. If you tell me that you're a submissive, I have an expectation. If you tell me that you're a slave, I have a different expectation. If I tell you that I'm a dominant, you should have an expectation of me. But if I tell you, don't call me goddess, don't call me mistress, again, that means don't call me that. I don't identify that way. And there's a reason I don't identify that way. You know, unfortunately to me, goddess and mistress have a commercial connotation. And I'm, you know, while I may have dabbled in Findom and, Mm -hmm. you know, done some pro work, it doesn't mean that I identify as a pro, right? Right. So... For you to sit there and keep calling me goddess and mistress every time you message me, well, now you're pushing your kink off onto me. And I didn't consent to that. But actually, that I didn't ask for it. circle to our next step in the chain anyway, which is consent. <laughs> and it kind of flows together anyway, because, yeah, it, whether it's your label, my label, you know, it, it's like what was just said in the, in the chalkboard about, you know, that goes on both sides of the coin. Don't call me baby girl if I'm not yours. You're gonna find a brick wall as you should because they didn't consent to you calling them that it's no different for them than it is for us in that regard doms and subs you know every label requires consent it has to require consent because at the end of the day consent is everything everything we are down to the littlest agreement because it's what makes our communication work at the level we play 
because we don't play with dolls. I mean, okay, some littles do, but you know what I mean. Like, at the end of the day, that's not how most people are playing on this field. We're playing with things that can hospitalize people or hurt them or permanently disfigure them. You don't just arbitrarily pick up and play. You have to have a level of negotiated consent, even with someone you know. That's true. So this, this circles back to brat uh, consent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if a brat thinks that they can just, you know, I don't have to do what you say. Well, no, you don't. You didn't give me any control. You didn't consent to my, to my control or my discipline or anything else. You know, you think that you can uh, sit there and verbally throw popcorn at me and expect me to react. react? I'm not going to because... Mm-hmm. There is no consent there for me to actually do anything about it other than knock it off or I'm just going to stop talking. Uh, You know, even that conversation has um, has a consent component to it. You Mm -hmm. know, they're interacting with you and I don't have to interact back if I don't want to. I can turn around and walk away, Um, which completely deflates the brat, right? They they there is that piece that seems to be missing for some of them that, mm-hmm. you know, they think that they can poke a sadist and get away with it. And ha ha ha. Well, you, and part of that is because that they was... don't recognize yeah. what being a brat even properly means. Right. That's true. Because instead they're doing what they think it does again, usually picked up from the service feeder grab and they operate at that level of, hey, it doesn't matter if I poke you in chat because it doesn't matter if you consent to that or not. It's what I'm doing because I'm a brat. And mm-hmm. they learn very quickly amongst those of us that are actively in the community at large in a healthy way that none of us has time for that shit. There's zero tolerance for that because it's not ethical. Uh, unfortunately, in our particular group, <laughs> poor Knox seems to be a brat magnet, which totally validates her reasons to be <laughs> averse to them. Because they seem to find her in the lounge, and they're absolutely proving the point of why we don't have a tolerance for them. (laughs) And that's why it's not okay. It's a great example. We've witnessed it happen here. And it's like, you didn't negotiate that. You're disrespecting someone on the grounds of just being self-entitled. You can fuck off now. To be fair, I need to work on my tolerance with people's shit. While fair, and I'll, it doesn't I'll own the that. fact that there's been two cases where they've actively disrespected you in the lounge. Which is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. It's like I'm a perfect stranger. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah. excuse you, that is not how this works. <laughs> and nobody will tolerate that shit. That's very true. And they shouldn't, you know, to no. be fair, they shouldn't. You know, I, I make the jokes all the time, and God knows everybody's seen us play together and sass each other than everything, but, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> at the end of the day, even Syria knows that it would absolutely be a hard brick wall if she ever reached that disrespect level, but she would never do it. And anybody who's known her any length of time knows what I mean. She's mm-hmm. sassy as sass can get, granted so can the rest of us. But she knows what a recognized ethical boundary is because Mm -hmm. she would never behave that way because it's disrespectful to herself, much less others. And that's how it's supposed to be. 
Like, I wouldn't come up and tell you what to do because I'm a dominant, so you should just tell, listen to what I say. If anything, I'm work pretty like that? sure oh my I would from the damn serve. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody would look at me a little jaded if I was that stupid. And I, you know what? They would be valid, too. I'd expect y'all to look at me funny if I started doing that shit, because we all know better. Right, and... I'm the dumbliest I... dom. <laughs> <laughs> the uber dom. Oh, God. Yes. Right? Uber dom. I am the darkest of doms. You do what I tell you to, and that's that. Yes. Uh, you drop your uh, panties simply because I told you to make me coffee. I mean, as it should be. Dom but... bot 5,000, exactly. Bad dom. Right? <laughs> so true. Accurate, though. It is. It's disgusting. When every dominant in the room cringes when you make the joke, it's because we all know what we mean. Oh. And we've all met them. But that's And that's where the whole Dom bot 5,000 came from. Like, And mm. as much as I'm sarcastic about it, and I use it on my FetLife profile, too. It's because people have come to me with this expectation that I'm going to dispense kinks for hours right. because I'm a dom. And it's like insert bag get kink. Yeah. But seriously, right? You know, and like one of the other female dominants, she was chiming in saying, you know, I always get asked for X activity. I, I do as well. It's like every message starts with, hey, can you peg me? And it's like, what if I'm not into pegging? Right. How about we start the conversation with that? Yeah, no shit. Um, and that's, and that's what I mean is like, and that's why I said the Dom bot 5,000, because people have this expectation, oh, well, you're a female dominant, so I can ask you for whatever fucked up thing I want. I don't have to say hello. I don't have to get to know you at all because you're going to be so happy to play with me because I'm a special submissive. And it's like, God. I hate to burst your bubble. You know, the lucky part for me being a female dominant, I'm in demand. You're not. No. I get to be selective. And not to mention, as a human being, I'm going to be selective because I've hit that no, point in my kink journey. I'm not dependent on play partners. Right. You know, I'm going for quality, not quantity, because my skills are there. My, my, I have my skill set. I'm always learning and expanding. But I know how to flog. I know how to spank. I can set people on fire. I can whatever I want to do. I don't need you to learn these things anymore. I've, I have a craft. Well, so now the... what I'm looking for is quality interaction no agree which means i don't have to put up with your bullshit well and the worst part is is i i won't speak for k on this one or x or anyone else for that matter but like obviously not on the same scale because we don't get the landslide because i don't have boobs um <laughs> but i even get a degree of messages randomly from people on fetlife usually the male f subtypes Mm -hmm. Or like, will you fulfill my fantasies? I'll be your best slave. I'm like, you don't know me, dumbass. <laughs> like, you didn't even read my profile, which says I already have somebody. You've made no effort to communicate decently. Like, I wouldn't touch you with a 10-foot pole. I can't imagine that works on anyone else, you dumb shit. Like, <laughs> right? what were you expecting? It seems to me that a lot of them will, they'll write a message, however well or poorly thought out it is, and send it to like 200 people a day just to see if they can get something. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, and for those, I've been on, on a, a journey of 
discovery and, and looking for for this person here uh, for a very long time. And I'll screen people and I'll look at them and I'll, I'll get to know them. And are you correct? Are you the right person or are you not? Um, but that journey is is tough for a lot of people because they're looking for something very, very specific. Uh, and the ones who will go out and are just looking for anything, mm-hmm. uh, they will, they destroy the opportunity for others who are looking for somebody very specific, who are doing yeah. it uh, yeah. for the right reasons and in the right ways. Because I'm sure Knox, I can't imagine what your inbox looks like every day. If you let it go for a couple of weeks, right? What would you have to okay. wade through? It's a shit you know? show. Yeah. So, um, you know, you have a picture of tits on, uh, on your, on your fat life and it's all over, right? You're done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, but we get back to consent, you know, um, uh, you didn't consent to get, you know, flooded with dick pics in your, your fucking inbox. You just didn't, you don't mm-hmm. want that. It's Nobody not, does. Nobody wants that. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure if somebody was, was unique and entertaining with it you you might give them two seconds of attention give them a laugh and then move on not if it's a dick uh, <laughs> i don't know the the brontosaur is kind of interesting um <laughs> the <laughs> i mean <laughs> it still wouldn't be enough for me to generate a conversation from it but no no but it's it's enough to make you it stop and you laugh. laugh for a minute sure right right that's about all the attention you give it um, so, no, I mean, so, in fairness, when people violate my consent with dick pics, which ironically happens just often enough because I'm pansexual, thankfully it hasn't happened for a while. Um, I usually respond to them by the, there's a regularly well-known, uh, femdom who has these giant ass leather dildos and okay. I mean yeah. like elephant arm sized monsters. And I just send them a picture <laughs> and then go, you first. <laughs> usually they stop talking. I mean. <laughs> when I, I share get that with them. female friends of mine who don't like getting dick pics because very quickly they stop getting as many of them in the same group <laughs> I feel yeah, like if I, you send me a dick pic you're consenting to me talking about CBT uh, that's valid uh, I agree that's good That's good. my go to is when I get them is hey send me more and they're, and they're like what why and I'm like well, I've got this open account over on like X Hamster or whatever, and uh, I just post them up there and make money off of it. So please send me more. Um, I'm selling them to girls for them to laugh at, <laughs> and, I mean, and hey, they, you know, the magically they stop. Well, I'll actually start sending like Olympic score rating systems. <laughs> that is like, absolutely fantastic. Like, I mean, I just posted it in the chat. Like, I've got one great one that I saved that's like negative two. i mean it works until you find the guys that are into sph and stuff right but like no but still that's glorious well usually those are the ones that i'm like all right well fuck you pay me but like (laughs) um you know but like reasonably speaking you know if you're sending me pictures like that completely unsolicited it's a block delete it's just what it what it is it should be no absolutely because you definitely didn't consent to that shit hell nobody does I mean, yeah, you may consent to that personally on a one-to-one level in the future, but you have to get that far first. 
No right. one blanket consents to having a random dick show up in their inbox with no warning. Like, <laughs> right, which is so weird. Like, it is. I've gone even, more than once about this crap about, yeah. you know, I don't understand because I've never, ever to date met someone yet who actually enjoys getting random dick pics. Truly. Not one. That's accurate. And it's like, I've it literally doesn't work on How have you not figured this out by now, you morons? Well, but that's what I mean. It's like, it's one thing to get dick pics from people that I'm interacting with. And I'm like, that's right. Show it to me. Versus, hey, rando, do you have foreskin? Like, it, it, it's not the same. No, it's not. No, there's something that, that I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Kay. The, this, I had a conversation about a month ago for, with a gentleman. I think he's still in the server here somewhere, even though he's been quiet. Um, and he's from India. And I asked him, a very intelligent guy, uh, he's in his 20s, um, and he's trying to learn to be dominant in a very, very different culture over there. Yes. Where, yeah. where interaction with women, period, is frowned upon mm-hmm. until you actually get married. So yeah. arranged marriage is a whole bit. So he explained to me that the culture there and the reason why we see there is this uh bobs and vagine uh <laughs> meme going on right yeah is that they grow up they're in their 20s and they have zero idea about how to speak to the opposite sex zero yeah. idea yeah. and then they get uh, turned loose on the internet yep and it's then everywhere. it's everywhere and these Americans are so open about their sexuality in comparison to what they're used to, which is not even a hello. Yeah. And they have no idea how to interact. And their um, the culture doesn't support mm-hmm. communication whatsoever, much less open communication or talking about vulnerability or talking about consent because that's you know a foreign concept to them. What do you mean somebody's going to talk about doing things that I might enjoy and, you know, actually try to give me what I want, right? That's like so far outside of their, uh, of their box, right? It's not even a thought that occurs until they start coming into uh, communities like this. And then there's a community like ours, and they are so unable to yes. communicate that they are automatically um, uh, ridiculed and then ejected from the from the community, and they have no idea. They have no clue why, because they have yeah. no idea how to communicate in the first place. I think uh, somehow, somewhere, a space needs to be made for those types of folks coming from communities and, and countries like that to grow them into a space where they can actually communicate and talk about consent and talk about labels and talk about sexuality in a good constructive way. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. No, absolutely. Especially I mean, because I have interacted with some of these men and it's yes, because their communication sex is completely removed from the communication. Right. You know, like like here in America and and you know largely the western world, right? sexual banter is normal 
you know, having that sexual play back and forth, even without any heat or anything to it, right, is normal. It's become the normal comfort space. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like in most of the eastern part of the, you know, I'd say Middle East and eastern part of the world, right? Because of the gender separations and the different gender roles that they have, um, that's part of their societies, that type of banter is just not taught because you don't engage in it. It's disrespectful, right? Yeah. And so when it comes to initiating sex or even showing interest, they don't know how to because it's so frowned upon and it's so regulated for so many different reasons. Whereas in, I think, the Western world, it's almost like a badge of honor to say, hey, I want to fuck you. Right? No, it's, that's more valid than it should be. It, but it is. I mean, like, you know, the, the whole, you know, persona of the playboy guy that can get any girl he wants. In yeah. Western culture, that's pretty normal. In Eastern culture, yeah, you know, to have a harem and things like that took place. But it's, it's a very different it's thing. It's, very it's different. You know, yeah. sex is a more sacred act. Whereas we treat it a little more transactional. Intimacy there um, is considered a very Provided we're talking about healthy thing. interactions and not, you know, rape and all the other stuff. Well, yeah, of course. But, you know, by and large, that changes how the sexes intermingle, you know. Oh. And so, yeah, there unfortunately are a lot of people that come into online communities and are dealing with people from Western cultures. And because you know, I've been told this a lot, you know, for an American woman, you're very forward. And it's like, well, I have power over my sexuality. Yeah. But even then, like a great example is you don't auto lead with it either just because, except Mm -hmm. in the right context. And that's the biggest problem with that, with the Eastern side of things. Well, it's not the problem with the Eastern side of things. It's that they treat sexuality on an intimate level in a very private I won't say noble, but I can't find a better word for it right this second. They consider it at a higher priority of how to treat it in that regard. Um, and it's it's not just the Eastern side. There's a variety of cultures in the world that are just a little off that way from what we recognize. Um, a great example is, you know, there was a jo- guy I met in an auction group, but he was originally from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um very articulate, well-educated gentleman. And he messaged me one day and he made it a point to ask if it's all right to continue conversing this way. I know it's private versus public. And I want to make sure you are comfortable before continuing with any further discussion. Like right out in the box, without even knowing all the details about kink, consent was his first priority. Ethical consent in a private setting one-on-one. And as it turns out, he happened to have been someone in, I don't know what he actually did. He kept that very private to himself, but he was a member of their government somewhere, which if you know anything about South Africa means he can't even acknowledge his kink in any setting at home, or it could literally be his death still under the right circumstances, especially in a place of government. His life is at risk. So he came to me in confidence and made it a point to say, I like the way you talk in group and I want to understand dominance better for myself. And I feel like you could help me with that, but I didn't want to bother you if it's not something you have the energy and investment to do. 
And I spent a good six months with him just talking on and off, even after I left that group very quickly because it was a very unhealthy pile of people. But he communicated with me so articulately on a constant basis. And there was always that immediate need for consent before he said anything that he felt was not conversational at a platonic level between two men. And at no point was it flexible, like he wasn't, you know, bi or anything like that. It was just the level of intimacy in the conversation itself was enough for him to be very particular. Mm. And at first I tried to be like, you are perfectly comfortable. You're always welcome with me. I have no issues with consent with you. You're fine. But it was very quickly apparent that he was never going to be comfortable with that for himself because of the society yeah. he lives in, which I totally respect. But it it's a great example of how far consent goes in a much harsher environment where, you know, not everybody has it that bad, but there's even members of this group that live in societies and cultures where they can't just come out and be, oh, by the way, I'm a dominant too. Like, even conversationally in kinky communities, they have to be very careful about who knows, more so than we do. I mean, here in America, we still have places where it's a stigma or something you don't let people know about, but we don't have anywhere near the severity of punishment that other people do in other societies anymore. Um, instead, we have issues with people who don't understand the concept of public consent, which is something else we should definitely touch on. Uh, and I have strong opinions on the subject of you. And I don't mean the, the little things like hand gestures between you and your sub at the grocery store, stuff like that, that are harmless and otherwise unobtrusive. But I don't want to hear like a crowd of people after a month sitting around a coffee table and talking about blood play within close earshot to random vanilla people at a restaurant. It steams the fuck out of me. It's cringy. It's yes. at best. And the worst so is cringy. I've heard there was a group when I was at Caribou Coffee up in Minnesota one time with a friend of mine and a and a prospective sub. Nothing came of it, but we were all talking around coffee and we heard a group that one of the one person knew from a couple of other actual community groups in Minnesota. And that very quickly got squelched once I knew who they were. But they hmm. were talking about knife play loudly. And the worst part is at one point I heard them joke about scaring the vanillas. Uh -huh. I got steamed. Oh, it hurts so bad. I walked up to the table, and I normally don't do that sort of thing. I usually leave it alone. But I walked up, I sat down next to them, and they're all weirded out already. And I don't care at that <laughs> point, though. They already did the same to everyone else. As far as I'm concerned, they deserved it. Yeah. They consented to that by disrespecting everyone else's consent in the room. <laughs> And I know some people may even have an opinion on that being technically not okay, but I respect that. Um, but I sat down and said, you're all going to keep your mouth shut and walk out of here, or I'm going to make sure you never show up to another event in Minnesota as long as I live. Because what you just <laughs> did is exactly why we have to be careful who finds out what we do. Yep. And I'm not okay with that. You are literally giving it the bad name that makes people lose their jobs, or in some parts of the world, get put to death. You will shut your mouths and walk out of this place right now. And I don't normally go that far with anybody. Like, I do that in my job because I'm security and that's when I'm upholding my policies. But I never do that to someone in public. 
even someone yeah. in the kink universe that I recognize, I leave them alone. I respect their anonymity in that regard. But These you bring up a good point. It because I was no longer comfortable with what was going on. And I had to say something. Because people were clearly uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's like, the moment people are clearly uncomfortable, no, I'm not a master in that community, and I never was, and I didn't expect to be. At that point, I barely knew anybody. But I knew enough to understand that that was not only wrong, but not something you encourage. And they needed to understand, if they didn't already, how disrespectful they were being and how ashamed they should be. Because the damage they were doing is unrepairable. But that's the thing. That we have a responsibility. That are going to look at anything related to kink now with an even bigger uh, issue than they already had. <laughs> now, on the other hand, <laughs> that same group of vanilla people uh, very likely com- contain people who are not vanilla and are hiding it and don't know about any uh, any public groups. Now, in my local community, uh, we have a group called The Gap, and a friend of the owner of the group uh, owns a restaurant, and basically, we have command of the restaurant. There's, there's nobody that's not kinky in that building, so we no, talk about that. it right as loud as we want, because nobody's there at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, you, know, you go to a Denny's or, or something... Uh, and as long as you're speaking in a way where where it, if a kid's around, they're not going to pick up on on whatever it is. Um, and there's there's methods of doing that. Oh no, absolutely. But it would it would it would perk the it should that conversation at all times should be able to perk the ears of somebody interested and invite them over to at least sit closer and listen, if not introduce themselves and say, hey, what is this? The, I think that uh, space, that munch, or that coffee should act almost as a public ambassador to the community. Um, and I see that in some communities and not in others. Um, there are some that are very disrespectful of the public and say, yeah, whatever, we're going to do whatever we want because we have numbers, and and if they don't like it, they can leave. Um, And they have that attitude, but there's also the opposite attitude of being the the ambassador and being uh, being that welcoming group that will take somebody who has only seen, you know, 50 shades and a a few, you know, a few minutes of porn and, and has internally expressed interest and had no idea how to go forward. Oh, no, uh, absolutely. Right? And then meeting somebody but who actually does this and, oh, my God, what is this? This is I mean, real. I've, I've talked to a number of people as I've gotten to know them about kink. Um, the Unfortunately, the gentleman has ADHD and he was just a little overwhelmed by our server, so he didn't feel comfortable staying. Um, but the guy I worked with who I brought in, And he had made a joke about his partner and how she wanted him to tie her up. And that's because we had gotten to know each other for months already by that point. And it was a a surface-level comment for him. But I looked at him because he made it, and I said, technically, I can help you with that if you're interested. 
<laughs> and we got to talking and it wasn't that I was planning to do it for him, obviously, but I got to talking with him about my recognition of kink and my experience and how I would love to be able to help him if it would help him by answering questions or whatever. And that's how he ended up coming to the server at first, because he was interested in learning. And he still is, just this is a little overwhelming for him, because it's just not the environment he does well in, which is totally valid, I, you know. But I still work with him, I still talk to him now and then, he asks me questions now and then, you know. But that's a little different than going to a public space that is not recognized as a kink-comfortable space, and mm -hmm. vocally loudly trying to make people uncomfortable and that's a very different thing as opposed to like you were talking about the munch space in your area um knox probably may or may not remember the fetish factory back in the day down in lauderdale <laughs> it doesn't matter if there's a party going on or not you walked into a place called the fetish factory if you start talking about spanking no one's gonna bat an eyelash because it's the very nature of the place like it wasn't even that it was recognized as a kink club, though it most assuredly was kink specific. It's that the moment you're inside, you already know what you're dealing with by the name on the box. And so there's a comfort zone, even if you're not familiar with it, to open that dialogue with someone. Hell, yeah. most of their events were public events, not yeah. group events or munch events for other people, where you could come and have tastings of a variety mm -hmm. of sorts. Um there was a guy who I never, ever saw partnered with anyone as long as I live, and he's probably still there now if he's not passed away by now. It was an older gentleman, and he would show up in a diaper and a leash to every event and just wander around hoping someone would take his leash around for the day without fail. There was always someone doing uh, Florentine Electro Whips, which was always fantastic to watch, and a variety of other things. But you could come in off the street and attend these events. Mm-hmm. That was the beauty of it, was it didn't matter what else was going on. You walked in the door and immediately consented to witnessing what's going on. But it means you also had consent to ask about it. So someone who doesn't know any better could find out more. And even if they go home that night and never talk about it with anyone again, they had an environment to be comfortable asking questions without fear of entry or digging too deep or what if somebody else finds out. And I think that's important. I think those spaces are absolutely important. But one of the big glaring differences in what you're talking about, though, is people are walking into these spaces already somewhat aware of what's taking place. They're not in public settings where these things should not be taking place. Agreed. And then being accidentally exposed to it. No, for sure. I mean, because that's like for me personally. Like I went, I remember when Fifty Shades came out, Oof. the community that I was a part of at the time were actually bragging about showing up to movie theaters where they were premiering the film. And they wanted to openly have floggers on their hips. They wanted to be in full leather harness and regalia. And the whole point was, let's show the vanillas what kink looks like. And I was like, you're fucking up. Yeah. You know, because, and, and, and that's why I say, like, we have a responsibility to self-police within our own community. And what that means is exactly that, calling people out for their bad behavior. 
Because what I was pointing out is all you're doing is reinforcing stereotypes when you show up in force like that, because this isn't San Francisco. You know, this is not gay days or leather pride. You guys are showing up with nothing more other than shock and awe. And that's not educational. That's not helpful. You're trying to terrorize people. And and I put it in those terms. And I got a lot of flack for it. And I'm like, it's one thing if you were handing out pamphlets on consent. It's one thing if you were handing out information and literature, you know, not that that you're like proselytizing, you know, the religion of kink. But, you know, handing out solid information about here are places and resources to learn if after you watch the movie, you want to engage in some of the things that you saw, here's how to do it safely, right? Kink education is absolutely a thing. These people were going with the sole intent and purpose of, I get to fly my freak flag. And it's like, no, no, now you're just an asshole. Yeah. You know, and not to mention... That's not the only movie that's being played right now. So now you're doing this in front of children. And I'm sorry, yes, you're wearing sex toys openly on your body. And you're wearing fetish gear and things like that. Children don't need to see that. No. And their parents don't have to answer questions about it. Correct. Like now you're interfering with other people's parenting, which is not acceptable either. Exactly. You know, and and I'm like, with the internet now, (laughs) you know, it's different (laughs) than when we grew up. Oh, Google that shit if you're that curious, right? Just go mm. look it up yourself. You you have that power. You're not dependent on accidentally viewing content or casually hearing a conversation. You have the ability to search it out if you're curious about something that you've heard or read or, you know, seen, right? And the the whole whenever I hear somebody say, "Oh yeah, I want to scare the vanillas, I want to corrupt the vanillas." It makes me even more mad. Yeah. Because one of the things that I've encountered in running a physical play space, because I've I've now run three separate dungeons, God help you. is <laughs> the people that like to bring their friends into the club just to scare them and shock them and yeah. see their reaction. And the problem with that is you're now treating the rest of us like we're zoo animals. Mm-hmm. And I don't do this shit for you. I do it for me. Right. And I'm, do- I'm choosing to do it in these spaces so that I feel safe. And that I feel valued and I feel empowered. And so when you bring unsuspecting people into those spaces, the problem that you start having is that you're actually teaching them that kink is bad. You're teaching them shame. You're teaching them fear. Well, and that's dangerous. No, absolutely. And it's it's the difference in communications like... I use the examples because it's the communities I've been in, but they're actually great examples of a variety of those factors because, like, Minnesota has a much larger community than most. It's probably one of the biggest Mm -hmm. communities in the country, if not the world, in terms of raw bodies. There's quite a few groups. Many of them are large. They're mostly solid and run by experienced people who understand the concept of ethics and meetings and all that. And part of that is because it is one of the few states in the country where BDSM is effectively illegal because on the books, striking another person under any circumstances is battery. So any public venue is non-existent. It's not possible because legally they can't. So everything is privatized. Munches are held at restaurants because you have to find a way to interact with the public somewhere, but they are extremely careful what venues they are 
and they are extremely particular about how you behave yourself. And they, when you join a munch there, there is a list of behavioral options and rules that are mostly pretty casual. Like none of them are dramatic, but they speak directly to, you know, until you are in our environment, please dress appropriately. Please dress like you're going out to a normal venue with other people. Like there are a variety of rules that should be givens for most of us. But for those that aren't, it makes sure they don't have an excuse. So when they show up in plain clothes and meet the moderators and other people in the community for the first time, it's with the understanding that for everyone else's purposes, you're just a bunch of people meeting at a restaurant. And no one has to know the difference. Because those things and the gloves coming off happen in private spaces, homes, buildings. Um, SMKC, one of the groups I was a regular with, the owner and his wife literally built a second barn space on their huge property in the south end of Blue Earth just to have munches and a dungeon space underneath instead of putting it in their own personal home so that they could host a large gathering comfortably in a space everyone can feel comfortable in, no matter what the weather, what the temperature, it has running water and power, the whole nine. There's literally a bedroom space attached to the dungeon for aftercare. Like they went through a lot of work. Yeah. And it's pretty awesome, but it's also not the norm. Whereas you have the flip side of that where Florida, I remember going to a movie theater when I was like 22 um, and it wasn't for Fifty Shades. It was something, it might've been a number of other things, but it was on the kinkier side of movies. Just enough. And someone had put out a bunch of pamphlets scattered about that theater where it was showing. On one side was a Fetish Factory event advertisement. Not an official one, because I'm pretty sure it wasn't sanctioned by them directly. And the other side was talking about consent and BDSM. It was the equivalent of, like, condoms being thrown at a safe sex party. You know what I mean? Like, it was a very ethical, here, if you want to learn more, here you go. But here's a fact you should know about comfort and why it's okay. And it was left at that. There weren't people dressed up. There weren't people there talking about it. It was literally just left for people to take. But Florida has a much more open environment in terms of you have places you can just walk into. And most states don't have that either. I There's a handful. I think New York might have it too. And obviously California does. But even then there's, you know, a variety of rules and guidelines. You don't just walk openly in the street and jump into the club fully fetished out. Like... <laughs> Consent still plays a part of that process until you're in an environment where everyone consensually has no problem with you doing X, Y, Z. Because you don't know who's on looking. And while there's nothing wrong with giving people a venue to ask questions and learn, hence the point of places like this server and this podcast, you can't assume where they are with it. Mm-hmm. And so to be in a public setting where you don't know the variables, you don't know who's vanilla and who isn't, and it's a very clearly vanilla space, to actively, deliberately, loudly talk towards kink 
with the express purpose of wanting to make feel people feel uncomfortable, you can fuck right off. <laughs> because you are making it harder for the rest of us to bring education to a host of people who already have to deal with the surface feeders. And that being their introduction to kink. Mm-hmm. In order to bring them past that into the deep end of the pool, you have to give them an environment where they're not going to feel weirded out or cringed or their idea of kink is these assholes who talk about shit in public. Because, or judged. I mean, that's a big piece of that too. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. if somebody comes into a space and immediately feels judged, they're, uh, they don't know anything. They don't have... Uh, the background or the education to be able to articulate themselves, they're still learning what all of these terms mean, right? It's a right. whole different world. And now, you know, they use the word brat in the wrong way or, or you know, baby girl or whatever. And now all of a sudden somebody took offense and not being judged on it. And they're like, you know what? I'm just going to bow out. This is not the type of place for me, you know, based on like three or four basic interactions um i have seen people come in even to chateau uh where their initial uh interaction wasn't positive you know and they're there for five minutes and then they're like you know what f this i'm I'm gone and they don't really explore the space and and get to learn things and, and get to know people um so i mean as much as we you know, we basically have a welcome party for everybody that pops in and says hi. Um, you know, I have my own little thing where I find a gift for them and, and post that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however appropriate or inappropriate might might be at the time. The uh, uh, Having that, that first um, experience of coming into a space and being welcoming it being welcoming and not judge judgmental um, is huge, and we need that across the board, regardless of the space, real or right. or digital, so that the community can grow to encompass everybody who wants to be a part of it. I agree. One hundred percent agree. That's kind of the point. Is you know the reason I brainstorm this with you in the first place Kay is a great example like we brainstormed this idea literally just ranting as we've talked about before like just right. in the wee hours of the night to each other about the community at large and how it's evolved over the last couple of decades and having come from different spaces and and we were like someone can make a podcast out of this oh look we are but yeah we had our Sunday uh, Sunday morning uh uh, the say to Sunday coffee. The say to Sunday clutch. Yep, and it it was a, just a conversation, right? Uh, but and we covered so many amazing topics, right? Uh, we created, we covered so many uh, topics, and and floated from one to the other. Mm-hmm. It wasn't scripted at all, and uh, some of us would get on our soapbox, and and uh, and we'd hear hear. You know, I'd step down and you'd, you'd get on yours and we'd have a good laugh and some coffee and, and sure. what have you. But um, this space is an educational space. It has to be. Yes. And that's, and, you know, we, we have, you know, less than a dozen people listening right now. And 
but that's okay. We're recording it, and and maybe it'll turn into a thing, and maybe. Uh, but the idea is there that this should, this needs to be part of the, the greater educational space where people can right. find real, solid information about who we are and what we do and how to do it correctly. Because uh, there is indeed a right and wrong, despite you know all the differences between us. Um, Absolutely, there are universal there's, there's foundation a, truths. No matter ex- how you exactly. Spend. Exactly. There's, there's a right way to do things. Today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. um, there, there is no way, no way that I could walk into a dungeon and run it the way Knox does. There, I, I don't have that skill set. Can't do it. Um, yes. but, but no one would like me doing it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yet, yet, you, you know, I could do it. I could learn. I mean, that's, yeah. that's fine. You know, um, Knox, you know how to do fire play. I'd love to learn one day. And the, the first step to me learning is I'm going to bottom for one of those scenes one day. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that would there be yeah. amazing to go do that and experience it because fire is awesome. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, valid. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'd, I'd love to go do that. Uh, you know, and then I, I hear, I hear dominance that I'll never bottom for anything. You, you bet. You know what? Some of this shit is awesome. Uh, and there's there's a reason I do what I do and get as intense as I I, I can, mm-hmm. um, you know, and being able to to uh, play yo-yo with a with a, a submissive on a cross, right, and throw her into outer space and rip her back out again and throw her back into space until she's just so far gone she's just she's just a limp ragdoll. Um, well, and even then, like I speak to the point that. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, like everybody's got their spaces. Yes. And, you know, there are absolutely dominants out there who are ethically just not going to bottom, but they are understanding of the fact that they still have things to learn. And I think that's the biggest difference is they recognize that that's still a need. It didn't magically vanish. So they still put in the work to understand everything they can to ethically treat the situation before they try it out with a partner of theirs. And if that works for both partners involved, I am all for it because they are being ethical in that space. And that's the big key. Mm -hmm. You know, after that, I'm willing to work with it, but it's the moment you open that up and you're, Oh, I refuse to, you know, bottom for anybody ever, but you're not ethical in any way that matters. That's a little different. And I'm going to treat you a little differently as a result. There's no way around it. Because my concern is your ability to learn, pick up, and pass through what you don't know for the mm-hmm. sake of somebody else's health and well-being. And nothing less. Like, if you just don't want to learn fireplay because you don't care, fine. You don't have to learn fireplay if it's something you're never going to play with. That is perfectly valid. If you have a partner that wants it and you want to learn it, you better fucking learn it before you set them on fire and send them to the hospital with permanent third degree burns over most of their body. There's a difference. That would be a good goal. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and it sounds silly and we all understand that that's a little bit on the extreme side, but we also know there are people that are stupid enough that that extreme can happen. And that is not the same as, well, I just don't bottom because it's not in my nature. Now, granted, I don't bottom, but I have. I started that way. So I'm not afraid of it. I'm just not a masochist, and it does nothing for me. Right. But I 
don't invalidate either side of that coin as a result if they're pro- educating themselves in an environment that is ethical and sensible for what they need. That is the bottom line. Education is the bottom line. Ignorance is the problem. And that's, like, it's no different than bringing the surface feeders. And we've talked about these things before that way. <laughs> and that goes back to labels and consent too. Mm-hmm. We bring education to those we can so that they have the toolbox. We can't force the hammer into their hands, but we can make sure it's available. And that's exactly what things like this podcast is geared towards, is bringing that toolbox to those that need it regardless of what source they're operating from, so that they can at least recognize, oh, this hammer goes to those nails. If you choose to ignore the hammer at that point and try to use your face, that is on you at that point. But I'm going to make sure you have the hammer to begin with. See, one of the things that I like to say that I think is important is that the reality is labels and all of that give us the ability to give consent. Right. And because... If you can't communicate effectively, if you can't articulate what your needs are, what you're looking for, you can't articulate the kind of play that you're wanting to engage in, that means that when I negotiate with you, I'm inherently negotiating in bad faith. It's completely okay to say, I don't know. It's completely okay to say, I'm not sure yet. It's not okay to use terms thinking that you know. And then getting, and then me as an experienced dominant, getting you into a situation and seeing the light in your eyes, you know, showing me, no, you really didn't know what you signed up for. Because if I continue to play with you, to me, that's a consent violation. You know, you, you did not know what you were getting into. It's, we didn't negotiate an exploration scene. We didn't negotiate something for education. We negotiated a play scene with a very specific intention and goal in mind, at least on my side, right? So if I forced you basically or coerced you into that situation, I violated your consent. And I feel, and that's why I tell people, if it's not enthusiastic consent, to me, it's not actually consensual. It's almost like bullying. I'll agree with that. You know, because I mean, like I said, it's one thing if I approach somebody, you know, if I approached Kay about fire play, and he's open. Hey, you know, I've got a very limited understanding of it. I might have seen it, but I don't know anything about it, but I am curious about it. And I say, awesome, I'm going to do fire cupping with you, lay down. I didn't explain anything. You know, right. I'm not making sure that he knows what we're actually about to engage in. I'm not explaining to him that there's a risk of burn. I'm not explaining to him that, you know, the sensation can be mild to intense. I'm not explaining to him that it could leave marks, you know, or that it could potentially scar, you know, and it's, if I don't cover all of those bases to make sure that you are fully informed to the best of my ability before we engage in that activity, you're not actually consenting, you know, and that's, and that's kind of the other like major problem I see, especially with, um, I see it more with inexperienced players but more with inexperienced bottoms and I see the experienced tops and experienced dominance almost taking advantage and exploiting that. Like, Oh, you don't know here. Let me show you. I'll be, I'm going to be your gateway into all things kinky, you know, come to me, you know? And I I have an inherent problem with that because it, it is predatory, Absolutely. you know? And one of the things that in the communities that I've been a part in, 
I've always made sure when somebody says, yeah, I'm going to go play with this new person. I'm like, do they understand that you're a community leader? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, as a community leader, you have an even higher level of responsibility, in my opinion. Agreed. You're held to a higher standard and you should be. Yeah. But does this person understand that by playing with you, because of your skill level and your skill set, that that is different than the average person in our immediate community. Yes. Because exactly. now you could be setting them up for failure because you may only have one scene with them and it may be fantastic and there was no problems, right? They're going to take that and go play with somebody else and expect that scene to go the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to happen. You know, it may be better. It may be far worse. But now they have a level of expectation, which means their consent is different. Yes, and it is up to you to have the responsibility as a community leader to make sure they understand, I do things this way, X, Y, Z, and you need to be aware and protect yourself and vet the people you play with, because X, Y, Z may not be the same for that person the way it is for me. No matter how intense the scene is, maybe it's earth-shattering and that was their gateway to kink, and great, But the last thing I would want is for them to go to another play partner after me and be like, the fuck is this shit? You lied to me. Like, no, I didn't. But it's up to me to make sure you understand there's a difference. I wouldn't assume you would know. Because how could you? I have a question here from uh, one of our listeners. I'm going to read it verbatim. Uh, She uh, DM'd it to me. Uh, Could consent violations extend to relationships where you thought you were consenting to a relationship that would be a specific way, but in the end, it is not that way? Absolutely. If so, how would you then negotiate that relationship since there's no consent uh, uh, Mm. or it's a a consent violation? There's there's a couple of layers on Uh, that. Yeah, that's messy. It is because the nature of it, we can take the kink off of it a little bit because it's not inherently a kinky issue for consent to be violated. People violate consent in relationships all the time that have nothing to do with kink. Um, Whether it's, you know, domestic abuse, rape, any number of things, those all apply. They're all consent violations of their own kind because there's still something you did against that person's will and they happen. In kink, it's even worse if you do all of the above. Because there's a different level of trust already being built. So shattering it that way is inherently even worse. Um, And it's something, you know, a lot of people don't like it when I say that you as a submissive, just like a dominant, and I don't care which side of the slash you're on when it happens, it is your responsibility to make sure your boundaries are clear. And I don't say that in a way of, well, if you didn't tell them, suck it up, buttercup. I mean in the fact that you need to be willing to be vocal when they're wrong. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to stand up for yourself when it matters. And I know mm-hmm. that's easier said than done for some people. I do recognize that. But let's say they, you know, strapped you down or put their hand against your neck and pushed you against the wall. And one of your kids was in the next room and they didn't like the fact that you heard it. Mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable with that, you need to specify that. Because they need to understand they broke a rule. Now, I'm not saying that they, you know, are automatically anything else at that point, but if it's something they did, even inherently by accident, it could be as simple as mild. 
you need to vocalize, hey, this isn't something we're going to do. Because at that point, if they continue to do it, then it's abusive. That's a whole different dialogue. But it gives that opening for a dialogue by telling them this is not something I'm okay with. If they didn't already know, you have to vocalize your part of the issue. Now, if you have, then they're violating your consent, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that constitutes abuse. You need to evaluate that. It could be mild. It could be unintentional, but it's still abuse. And you need to be able to size up that situation and that person with enough clarity. And if that means paging someone who has a better idea than you, do it. You know, I hate to use the phrase, ask a friend. Ask a friend who knows what they're doing. Someone who's experienced in kink. Someone who gets it. Because as long as they don't have a personal stake in your relationship, they will give you a fair shake. And I'm the person who will absolutely not hesitate to say, no, actually, you're wrong. He's fine. Or she's fine. Or whatever. If they are. But I'm also the first person to be very careful about a consent violation and be like, no, that's actually really bad. You need to be clear with them if you weren't already. And if you are, you need to warn them that there's an issue here that could cause permanent damage. Because you do have the right to specify that. I really feel like a lot of... One, I think the term consent violation is abused. I agree. I think it's it I think it's overused and misapplied quite often. I feel like a lot of situations where there has been some type of consent violation, a lot of it is just miscommunication. Yep. It is. You know, and it and it can be cleared up just again by actual clear communication. Mm-hmm. But yeah, absolutely, even in committed relationships you can have consent violations, of course. Um But I think in the situation that was being specifically asked about as far as like a committed relationship starting out one way and then going the other way, I don't see that as a consent violation. I see that as a natural progression in a lot of relationships. You know, you start out, you start out as a play partner and next thing you know, somebody wants to actually start dating. Well, that's another type of discussion and another type of negotiation. If you suddenly find yourself you know, you wake up one day and you've been play partners for six months and now all of a sudden you realize, holy crap, we've kind of been living a monogamous relationship. But it doesn't mean that your consent was violated. No. It means the two of you need to sit down and have that hard conversation of, you know, where's this going? What what do we want? Is this what I want with you? Yes. Or have we strayed into an area that I'm now not comfortable with? You know, I mean, to me, that's not a, that's not a consent violation. No, I mean, um, don't get me. And wrong. that wasn't an issue that you needed consent because clearly, you were asked to go on dates and you went on them. You had the power and the ability to say no. I mean, unfortunately, the question is a bit vaguer than I'd like because I want to say both sides of that. Where inherently, not everything is a consent violation. I agree with you, but the other side of that is that doesn't mean it can't be. But there's a lack of context to answer it better where, you know, that particular situation, did it happen after a week, two days, six months? You know, if it happened after two days, that conversation should immediately be had because obviously it's not what you expected. But it's not a consent violation at that point because we just haven't talked about it. Whereas if it's six months down the road... 
and you've been waiting for it to turn a certain way because the other person has been saying it was, that's a little different. But that's why it requires that context because it makes a difference, a huge difference in what it really qualifies under. If you both just kind of settled into being comfortable with each other, that's not violation of consent. That's we need to reevaluate where we are. And you may not like the consequences of that, but that's just being grownups. And that's part of what we do as kinksters is we have to sit down and have those conversations regularly. That's part of ethical communication is reevaluating and adjusting as we evolve, change, and grow. No matter how long you've been together, no matter who it's with, ultimately communication is the part that matters. Even if you have to sit down five, six times in a couple of years and it changes and it adjusts because it's not what you thought it was or it's not working the way you both thought, it's all relative. The flip side of that, again, is if someone has led you to believe it was going to operate a certain way and they are actively continuing to tell you that's what's happening and it's not, that's a little different. But ultimately, they're not violating your consent if you're choosing not to walk away. Because it's up to you to have the adult conversation and make the decisions you need to for you. If you do none of that, then you're just being passive. That's not the same as having your consent violated because you're choosing to not bother. And that's the other side of that too. And that's why context for this matters so much because every situation is different. And you can't blanket decide on any of it. See, and that's the other part that I'll point out, too, is even if you have a submissive personality type, you still have a responsibility to self-advocate for your needs. Yes. Nobody can do that for you. You know, you can't go through a third party and say, hey, can you tell my boyfriend that I really want to do this? No, that's your job. Because the reality is, if you're having these types of relationships, you're an adult and you're expected to behave as one, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can't expect people to read your mind and just automatically pick it up. Well, I mean, my personal favorite is like we when you join our server and obviously every server is different, but I use ours as the textbook example for us for a reason, because even before you enter a relationship with anyone. If you don't already have any, even before you build relationships of any variety in the server, there's a sign on the door that says, be an adult. (laughs) Because adult communication, adult understanding of boundaries and respect of them are key components of BDSM across the board and ethical poly for that matter and relationships in general. And yes, it means there's a certain amount of personal responsibility that not everybody likes hearing about. And I'm not speaking to any one person or using examples for a reason, because I'm not trying to to point out anybody or brand anybody. It's nothing about that. It's the bottom line is still the same. You need to communicate who you are, what you want, Mm -hmm. no matter the circumstances. You have to. Because the other person is never going to be a bloody mind reader. You may reach a point after time where you've built a level of intimacy where you just kind of roll into a scene together and you both know what to expect to a point and you just go with it and it works out for you. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But even then, 
if there's a change in what you're doing or what you're wanting, you still have to have that conversation. Like, hey, can you make it a point to make sure you bring out this particular paddle tonight? Because I really like that one. It's as simple as that for some people. Or I'm not going to use this tonight because I really want to use X instead. Is that okay with you? That's still effectively communication and consent. It's at a minor yeah. level because you're both pretty sure of the outcome, but you're still making sure they have a choice in the dialogue. They're giving the opportunity to speak their mind. It is up to them to do so at that point because you're making sure you have the option. Well, and I'll use the example of just sex within a committed relationship, right? When you first start dating and you want to initiate sex with your partner, typically there's more than just a, some kind of overt gesture that you use to initiate sex where it's like, hey, are you in the mood or however you want to phrase it, right? But as you progress through a committed relationship, whether it's poly, mono, whatever, it doesn't matter the structure, you develop a familiarity with each other. To where when you initiate sex, it may be nonverbal and you start engaging in sex acts, you know, without having to negotiate it like you would have during the first month you were dating. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you gave less consent than you did six months ago. And it doesn't mean that you need more consent than you did six months ago. It comes down to being able to say you know, hey, no, I'm not in the mood tonight. Or being able to say, hey, listen, you know, I can tell you're being kind of frisky. I'm on my period, you know, whatever the case may be, right? And that's not a consent violation. And I don't believe anybody would look at it as such. But at the same token, you know, if you were pressured into sex, if you were then forced into sex after making some type of over-awareness that you were not okay with sex, that would be a violation. So I think, I, I think when it comes to this, it comes down to what kind of communication are you engaging in? You know, is it nonverbal? Is it verbal? And how, how well do you actually communicate with each other? Um, <laughs> That's yeah. Okay. I just saw what you posted about the expansion on the question. You want to read that? Uh, yes, I will. Uh, hold, let me, I clicked off of it to go ahead and answer a different question. Give me a second. So the expansion on the question, uh, it's more of a situation where I assumed I was going to be the S type and I assumed they were going to be the D type. When in reality, there's not actual boundaries or protocol or any power exchange taking place. Um, this was supposed to be an MS situation. I'm forced to wear both hats and make shit happen. And this is a two and a half year relationship. So I will say first blush in reading that. And this is this is tough love. And I'm sorry to whoever asked this question because this might what I'm going to say comes from a place of love, I promise. That is a failure to negotiate appropriately. And Much that it on. sounds to me like two people going into it open-minded, but also with a lack of understanding of what you are actually diving into. So the negotiation didn't happen appropriately to get you both what you actually wanted. And that's probably why you're having to wear both hats and force the situation. You know, I don't want to say force the situation. No, but, but I'll say push it in the direction. Sides. 
Right. I mean, to me, this this is a this is a failure in communication. But it's also, yeah, it's it's a lack of negotiating things appropriately because I don't. Just reading it, it sounds like you didn't know how to negotiate it or where to start. Well, and even above that, like now that I'm catching up the expansion, like it's still a relationship unless the only thing you wanted out of it was a power exchange and nothing else. Right. So you still have to sit down and you took two and a half years of doing all the work. You should have had that conversation after a couple months. Yeah. Not waited two and a half years. It's not a consent violation at that point. It's neither of you communicated when it mattered and now you're where you are. And it means you have to make some ugly decisions about where the relationship is going versus how badly you need it to go a certain way. Welcome to life. And that's not meant to be brutal or unpleasant or you're wrong. It's just life. And it doesn't matter if they were kinky or poly or opening their relationship or closing their relationship. Communication should have happened long before two and a half years ago. It should have happened by now. So to have done nothing but do the work quietly for two and a half years is technically on you. Now, if you've been struggling the whole t- – well, even if you've been struggling the whole time and making it known you're not okay with it, but you keep doing it, you're still actively choosing to let it continue. Mm-hmm. You are still your own person. And yes, it sucks. To have to make the hard adult decision to walk away from someone. I will never say that's something that should just magically be easy, especially if you've had time invested in emotions. Never. But that doesn't change that you have to change it for you to be happy. Nothing happens in a vacuum. You do not assume the other person is either psychic or willing. You have to put the ball in their court by actually picking up the ball and physically, yeah. verbally going over to them and saying, here. If you've not done that, that's as much on you as on them. Let's say instead of blame, we'll just say it's a 50-50 lack of communication where it belonged a long time ago. And it should have happened before now. I think that's accurate. And that happens. It happens to people all the time. You know, the nature of relationships, even vanilla relationships, take that path where, you know, they were hoping it was something else. And after three years, you barely speak to each other. You live in opposite rooms and you're more like roommates than you are even friends, much less lovers. And it happens. It does. You choose not to change it or you choose to try to change it. If nothing changes and you make an effort, an honest adult effort then you have to decide how important this person is to your life's journey. And you're allowed to say, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that, but it means you make the bed you're making. You're still an adult. You're making adult decisions. If that means taking the path of least resistance, that's not on the other person at that point. It's just not. Not unless you've done everything possible and they're being actively ignorant. That's different. I was going to say, I would put in another caveat because of my specific situation, and I've shared it with the group at large before. <laughs> when you have a long-term relationship, and I'd say two and a half years is a long-term relationship. Definitely. There is also the thing that happens where both of you have evolved separately oh, and absolutely. evolved into something else. And I'll use my dynamic as a prime example. When my husband and I got together and were dating, 
I identified as a submissive. I was his collared slave. After, you know, it was about two and a half, almost three years. I realized because of where I was at in my kink journey that I was actually dominant. So we had to renegotiate what our power exchange looked like. Mm -hmm. We had to negotiate whether or not I would be allowed additional play partners. And we had to radically alter what our relationship was going to look like, even in a vanilla context. Right. And so when I started embracing my dominance, I had his support, which was important to me. But we had also negotiated having play partners separate from each other, which was a big deal at the time because he and I were fully monogamous for play and for sex. Right. So having those types of evolutions is not a failure. The failure part comes in when you don't actually talk about it and discuss it, you know, and a lot of times I find that that lack of discussion is because you just, you don't know how to one. Yeah. It's almost like you're coming out to your partner, right? Because it's like when I had to break it to him, Hey, I think I'm dominant. Honestly, I think me telling him I was a lesbian would have been easier because I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because it totally shattered perceptions that he and I both had with each other, you know, and now we're talking about not, not only negotiating, how are we having sex? How are we playing? But now how am I interacting with our community? How is he going to interact with the community? Right. Right. So, I mean, it, and don't get me wrong. It was painful. Growth was not easy. Um, We had a lot of fights. We went completely kink-free for six months while I tried to sort my own emotional shit out. But once we came onto the other side of it, we're both dominants. We're still married, very happily married now. Our communication is much better. You know, we share a slave. You know, he's got sexual partners that are not me. I've had sexual partners that are not him. We both play equally in the community, very publicly. So we have... so. Very pansexual when it comes to play. And now we're more fulfilled. But now we also have a different level of communication. For sure. You know? And it's and that's why I say, like, like I, I know I'm beating a dead horse by screaming communication, but there's a reason for it. And understand that those types of evolutions and relationships, especially within kink, are not uncommon. No, not at all. And there are a lot of times very healthy. Yeah, they need to happen. Well, it goes back to what we always say about at the end of the day, evolution is part of our path. And that mm-hmm. means your kinks may evolve and change and adjust. Oh, just yeah. like you as a person will grow a change and adjust as you get longer in the tooth. You know, I've said before at 43 going on 44, I at no point expected all my kinks to match up. You know, I didn't know any better at 20. But looking back now, I chuckle now and then like, oh, I didn't expect to be into that one. (laughs) It's the nature of the beast. But along the way, I did my best to be as ethical as possible with everyone I interacted with. Because that was one of the first things I was ingrained in. Um, Not quite the same, but in a similar way, like Siri and I have recently had to open that dialogue because we've been struggling at home with, you know... You're something you'll be understanding here soon if you're not already, you know, having kids in the mix changes how you interact and what levels mm-hmm. and comfort zones you have to work with because you don't have the same freedoms. Yeah, And it can make it 
harder to find that happy middle ground with each other and not just leave it alone. And neither of Mm -hmm. us is the type where we want to leave it alone. So we've had to open those dialogues. Thankfully, they're not as painful as they could be. Um, (laughs) We're definitely not fighting over it, thank God. And I'm grateful because I know how easily that could have been the case. Mm -hmm. But we're committed to making things work no matter what that path takes us. And we talk about it. We We talk about things till we're blue in the face to avoid having (laughs) fights over shit that there's no reason to talk about. Which is healthy. It, it is that's what it needs to be. We both understand that. We both had shitty partners who didn't talk. And both of us are damned if we're going to be that person to someone else. And so kink or not, but especially in kink, that communication is huge. And we don't always get to it when we want to, but we make sure to have it. So I understand the situation a little more deeply um, and I, I have okay. my preconceived notions and, and opinions on this situation. I am by no means a neutral party. Um, just Fair. because she's been a friend, uh, I've known her for, for five years. So okay. uh, may have some uh, investment. Got it. I have, I have, I have some totally investment valid. there. And so I'm not, uh, I'm not neutral here. It. But so the, the situation as I understand it, is she knew absolutely nothing was completely green when she went into this relationship. She didn't know communication. She didn't understand negotiation. She thought this is the way things were supposed to be mm-hmm. based on her interaction with the digital community and tried to translate that to a real-life dynamic and then got hit in the face with reality that that's not how it, it can work with that situation. And now she's uh, had a lot of growth um, and now she's reevaluating things and now she's trying to figure out, okay, I'm not happy. How do I fix this? I love yeah. this person, but how do I fix this now? Because I am afraid, speaking for her, she's said these words to me, she is afraid that he's not going to be able to accept the reality that 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 she's determined that she needs right here are the things that need to happen in her life one way or the other and that supersedes her relationship with him and if she needs to she does have children and they are not getting what they need so they become the higher priority and if he can't provide she's going to end up having to go somewhere else so excuse me um and that you know one other thing here is the knee-jerk reaction. I see this all the time. The knee-jerk reaction for, hey, I'm having trouble in a relationship. Um, I see it so much. Is not only that, but especially when you're dealing with somebody who's um, a master or a sadist or, or someone like that, that where you have, there is this significant power exchange, well, they're an abuser and you should leave. Yeah, and that that is the knee jerk yeah. reaction to hey, I'm having relationship mm-hmm. problems in the kink community. I've seen that so no, much. No, absolutely, and it actually goes back to what Knox said about not everything is a consent violation. It absolutely does, and it's part of why vetting matters. And it's it's not even that vetting matters just to avoid toxicity. It's vetting matters so you know how compatible you are. Because even if your kinks don't all match up, and no one's going to ever have a perfect match in that sense. No one's going to have an exact list of the same kinks. And if they do, you might want to re-examine why. 
because that may be someone who's doing it on purpose to mirror you. And that's a whole different issue. But uh-huh. that being the outlier, your kinks aren't always going to match up one to one. And that's a good thing because uh-huh. maybe you'll be willing to try out something they're into for their sake, top or bottom. And maybe you'll find out you're into it, or maybe you're happy doing it for them, or maybe you just won't do it together. And there's nothing wrong with any of those equations if you're open-minded and communicating about it. And the same could be said for yourself. Maybe there's something they're not familiar with but are willing to try for your sake, and they could either develop a kink, be willing to work with yours, or just straight up, this isn't something for me. And there's nothing wrong with that in a long-term relationship. It goes back to evolution. But it starts at the vetting level by communicating with someone for more than, ooh, you're hot, ooh, I'm hot, ooh, we talk a lot, you're engaging, oh, there's chemistry, ooh, let's get together. Right. Even with Syria, and I'm not going to pretend that chemistry wasn't hot and bothered right out of the gate. We were fucking with each other early on, digitally. (laughs) But it still took months before I even took her under consideration. Not like long-term months, like three or four tops, but still. It wasn't an immediate, we're going to do this right now. It Even if the kinks not matching to up. see where things lined up as people, not just mm-hmm. kinks. Because not all of our kinks were the same. And that was okay by me. And it was something I talked about with her. But we both wanted a dom-sub relationship. And we both wanted a relationship. And we made sure those things matched up in a way that mattered. And we put things on the table like adults do. I have children. You don't. This and that. And here's the situation with that situation. And this is something I still have to deal with. And this is something I have hanging around my neck. And no, you don't talk about that in the first week. But you talk about it as you get to know each other. So that if it does reach that next level of, is it time to talk about moving in together? There's no sudden fastball after you're unpacked of, well, what about this? Well, you already knew about that. I made sure of it. So that if you were not okay with it, you had a choice. Because you always are going to make sure you have that choice. And that goes back to consent as well. Is making sure they have consent to everything they are walking into with you. And vice versa, you should have that same respect of needing consent for them. And a lot of people get a little squirrely about it and kind of shoulder past it because they're into that person's chemistry. And I'm all for chemistry. Trust me, people are hot. I'm pansexual. I totally appreciate hot people in a heartbeat. Boobies will always impress me in a heartbeat. They don't mean I want to marry everybody I see. Because most people aren't going to be worth the pot to piss in. I don't care how good their chest looks. I mean, (laughs) mean, look. (laughs) Let me put it this way: I don't care what you're swinging. Just, just pee on their chest. I mean, I might to assert dominance, but that's a whole different discussion in kink series. Um, But at the end of the day, if I meet you locally and we hit it off, I'm still going to need you to be more than chemistry. Now, maybe that will translate into a regular play partner because we don't have to communicate outside of a dungeon event. And that's fine, too. That's a different kind of relationship. And there's nothing wrong with that either. 
because you're still being consensual and ethical in the environment you need it to be. Yeah. But if you're expecting, looking for, or wanting to discuss more than that, you know, I I hate being one of those old fuddy-duddies that some people like to joke about, you know, who says, take it slow and be careful. But at the end of the day, you're talking about putting your life in someone else's hands or being put in yours, depending on what kinks you play with. You're at risk at a different level than two monogamous vanilla people because they're not taking a knife to each other's body or fire or any number of other situations that can hospitalize, kill, permanently disfigure, or etc. You need to be more certain. That communication that already should exist in that vanilla setting, it's compounded in ours. It's not that it's not valid there. It's that we need it even more than they do. Mm -hmm. It should be more important, not less. I mean, yes, you weed out some of the trouble by saying, I'm only going to associate with kink people so it's easier to find another kink person. Great. That doesn't mean they're any less an asshole. You've been a kink for 30 years and still be a cunty prick. I mean, (laughs) and we all know at least a couple of them, if not a lot more. I'm not going to get into that semantic, but we all know what we mean. I mean, some of us just are that cunty asshole. Well, I mean, I can be too, but for (laughs) the purposes of this context, we're at least ethical assholes. Let's put it that way. That's true. I I am an ethical cunt. Right. And that's... That's 100% valid and how it should be. It's about consent and communication at the end of the day and ethics. It doesn't matter what we do with each other as long as we are on the same page from the get-go. Anything after that is semantics because we've made sure we both agree to it. As long as it doesn't you know, go off the rails, in which case that's a whole different conversation. But it can, and the longer you know someone, the longer it can go off the rails. And it's more important to have those conversations as often as possible because maybe you no longer feel submissive and you'd rather be a dominant. Maybe you're a dominant who really wants to be service pegged. I'm not here to judge, literally. Your kinks are your business. What's important is being ethically communicating with one another at every level, even here on a podcast. You know, I throw that event up and you consent to come listen to us or not. That's up to you. But once you're here, it's your problem. If your ears feel assaulted, well, leave. <laughs> I'm here Chances for are you won't, but you know what I mean. Like, ultimately, it was your choice to sit and listen in. And we are going so, to talk as we talk. There's a really good comment in the chat right now talking about Rack. Um and the comment says, Rack requires more depth. I've seen people do pickup play and get into a dynamic directly after that ended terribly because they didn't get to know the person. Yep. Freaking 100%. preach. So Rack means risk-aware consensual kink, yep. for those that may not know. And then there's also SSC, which is safe, sane, consensual. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also another acronym called PRICK, which is yeah. another. And there's a couple of other ones these days that are newer. But yeah, there's so they many. They essentially come down to the same. But. Right. But I mean, to the point of the comment, um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people and I, and I've said this before, they don't understand that power exchange is actually the minority when it comes to kink interactions. It really, it gets a lot of play and it gets a lot of, uh, talk, 
you know, and people hype up, you know, <laughs> the vocal power exchange and things like that. Bitches. But yeah, right. But the but the reality is people engaging in power exchange is actually the minority when it comes to kink at large yes. and kinky play. And a lot of people don't understand that just because you engage in a play scene together doesn't mean that you're automatically engaging in power exchange. It's very temporary because it's for that scene. Right. But it's not the same level of commitment that we're talking about with relationships and having an actual dom-sub, master-slave type dynamic. And one of the other big differences with that is, yeah, and I've seen this too, mostly with inexperienced players, where they have two or three really great scenes together. They've got great chemistry. And now one partner starts saying, well, I'm the dominant of the other person or I'm the submissive to the other person. And it's and not actually accurate. Communicated it half they, they haven't negotiated. They haven't talked about what that looks like to them. And they're not, they're not understanding what they've actually said out loud. And so, yeah, those tend to end very terribly because it's like, oh, you're being territorial. I didn't consent to that. Now you're a consent violator. Or worst yeah. case, it goes even farther south where it, it becomes very, very public. And, you know, you have really ugly falling outs within the uh, community at large. And I think the biggest problem with that, other than just having weird ass expectations of people, because um, <laughs> yeah. it is weird. It's weird as shit. <laughs> but again, it comes down to a lack of communication. It is. Absolutely. Yeah, circle. But I mean, that's the thing is, is even... Even with RAC and SSC and PRIC and all of those things, you're still operating from that base assumption that both of you are going into something with your eyes wide open and you know what you're about to do. And if you don't, or you feel like you don't know as much as you should, please, God, don't do the thing. Just wait. (laughs) You know, there's, there's a reason why you have the ability to say no. And I think for me personally as a dominant, to have a submissive or a bottom look at me and say, you know what, I do want to have a scene like that, but I would like to do some more research. I'm going to look at them very differently and more positively. Yes. Because that means when they come back to me and say, oh, I want to do that, they mean it. And they know what it's about. And we can have a much better interaction, a quality interaction that's going to go better for both of us. And it's another type of vetting, you know, Absolutely. that to me is somebody that's saying, not only do I trust you completely now, but now that I know what we're about to do, I'm enthusiastic about it. Yeah. I'm excited. Let's do the thing, you know? Well, and it's, and I, and to me, I respect those kinds of players far more than I do the ones that are like, yeah, I don't really know what this is, but I'll try it. Yeah. Oh, like to me, that's terrifying. Nice rack, so I'll you know? let them do it anyway. <laughs> I mean, like when I first got into kink, I didn't know what the different plays were. I knew I like being spanked. It was hot. Who doesn't right. appreciate a pretty girl bent over something? Absolutely. But right. it's not the same. I think that's universal. <laughs> but no, it's, it's the same kind of thing where, um, you know, we, I've talked about this before where rack, you know, coming from the old days, you know, risk-aware consensual kink was a very simple thing because most of us had common sense or were expected to more appropriately. When you walked into a dungeon event, you were expected to be an adult with personal responsibility, whether you were a top or a bottom. That meant if you didn't know dick about what you were looking at, you either went and learned about it before you fucked with it, 
where you asked enough questions before you fucked with it, but you didn't just go off half-cocked. You didn't. And if you did, you were recognized as sloppy, and the community as a whole would kind of push you out a little bit until you proved to be more, you know, educable. And educable is the key. Not educated, but educable. Willing to learn. Wanting to learn about shit you didn't know and having the common sense to say, you know what? I could potentially put you in the hospital for life. Let me go learn about this thing before I do it to somebody else. Or this could put me in the hospital for life. I want to make sure I'm doing my part just in case the other person needs a little reassurance when they're doing it with me, etc., etc., etc. And that falls on everybody when they walk in the door. Always. You, as a kingster, are personally responsible for your actions and voice. You are not responsible for anyone else's, but you are responsible for yours. Until you get into the semantics of a dom and a sub, or master and slave. At which point, that changes because of protocols. But we're still all human at the end of the day, and you are still expected to speak. Unless you are specifically in a high-protocol environment, event, whatever, where that is not the norm. But most people aren't meeting and having high-protocol dinners everywhere you go. That would be lovely, but it's not going to happen. So you are expected to carry yourself with the sense of an adult. That means saying, this isn't for me, or I really am into that, but I need to know more about it. Can you talk to me about it? Or I need to go find a class. Do you know anyone? Whatever it takes, especially before you sit down with someone, ooh, you know what? I've been beating this one girl's ass for months. She's pretty hot. We should be together. The fuck do you know if that means you should be together? Just means you like beating her ass. I like beating all kinds of ass. Doesn't mean I should date everybody. Amen. <laughs> Just means I like beating ass. And I think people get those two things separately confused. And it's why things matters so much. At every level. You even vet I people you know. Like, mm -hmm. yes, you know, well, let's, I, let's talk about that. What does vetting actually look like, though? Let's let's talk about that, because I don't think we've really gone over not what proper sense, vetting no, is. But I agree with you. Um, it's one of those things where I even consider that here. Like when I first got here, I didn't know anybody. Um, I don't remember. Kay might have been here before me, might have been right after. But, you know, we all kind of trickled in within a range of each other. But mm -hmm. we didn't know each other from Adam at that junction. But say, for example, Knox knew Al and Raven and a few other people from other places. So they all knew each other. You know, Kay knew certain people from other places. I only knew Amy. I knew yeah. X by reputation only by Syria. So I didn't know him from Adam either at first. We developed a relationship here as I got to know him. You know, I've learned who Kay is as a person here by getting to know him. Same mm -hmm. with you, Knox, over yep. time. Now, we happen to have some patterns of similarity because we were raised in the same area kink-wise and we know some of the same people to a point. Mm -hmm. And we have some overlap, but ultimately we still had to get to know each other before that mattered. 
It didn't just happen in a vacuum of, oh, you know leather, I know leather. Let's go, let's go have a party. No. Right. Because <laughs> as great as that would be, it's not how it works. That's true. I wouldn't expect you to be any more comfortable inviting me to a dungeon you host any more than the same backwards if I didn't know you from Adam. It's taking the time to see maybe we don't all have the same kinks and we're not going to. Like, we all know Kay is very much a fanatic about Ken play. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. And I say that as a positive compliment. I, it's not my jam at the same level. I've dabbled in it, but I totally right. respect it's something he's well knowledgeable about. Hell yeah. But it also means if someone was asking about Ken play, I'm going to point them to him. Yeah. Because he's proven his knowledge over and over again through time and public speaking here in the server. Not mm -hmm. just once or twice, but many times. His reputation in that regard is based on his works. So let's, let's talk about when, when you are vetting. Because, I mean, obviously it's easier to vet people in a community like what we have right now. Agreed. But let's, let's actually dive into how do you vet. Like, break it down. Because I know, I know some of the questions and stuff that I ask right. when I'm trying to vet someone. But, you know, because I think that that is something. Because we do have a lot of brand new people to the server that are brand oh, new to I King. Agree. And we have a lot of people that are new, not just online communities, but are, now that COVID is lifting in certain areas, they're starting to dabble in real life King. Mm -hmm. What does vetting a play partner look like to you? Well, I think there's uh, some words need to be said about red flags. Oh, yeah. Um, and there are red flags and there are false red flags. And that is a miscommunication. Mm -hmm. All right. Definitely. So one of them, uh, this was a discussion I had with other, other sadists at a, a party I went to recently. And the general consensus in the room with... Uh, we had five sadists in there. Each one of us had 20 plus years, years of experience in the community. And the general consensus was if somebody says, I do not play, play publicly, I want to invite you to my home to play privately for the first time was a huge red flag. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, but identifying what those red flags look like Mm -hmm. excuse me, identifying what those red flags look like um, is, and what they really look like as opposed to, I'm a sadist and I like to hurt pretty women. <laughs> right? No, you know, I know what you mean, though. Yeah. To, to somebody who's brand new saying, oh my god, you want to do what? To where? Holy <laughs> shit, that's, no! You know, you, got, you have that kind of reaction. Um, and then separating that from that's a red flag to that's not my kink. Right. There, there's a difference there, but somebody brand new won't necessarily see the difference. You right. know, what does knife play mean? Could that mean, you know, permanently carving scars into somebody's body? Well, no, that's scarification. That's something different. Mm -hmm. um, but somebody brand new doesn't know that. Agreed. True. Right, and so, and so there's 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 a level of education there that needs to happen before, <laughs> excuse me, before somebody needs is able to adequately vet 
uh, and intelligently vet a future partner. And this falls into the realm of self-education. The mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to say, yes, this is actually a red flag. Um, saying, no, you can't have access to your phone, uh, friends, or family unless I say so. Big red flag, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? So seeing seeing the, uh, the predatory, um, isolationist type of ideas come through. Uh, and they'll come through and... What you're trying to do is trying to keep yourself, in the end, um, from being hurt or damaged by this relationship you're considering. This person is, you know, um, very nice and and well-spoken. And, you know, they sound like they know what they're doing. uh, But vetting in a community is much, much easier because they, that person should also have a reputation. Um, And if they don't have a reputation... You know, if you're brand new, you probably shouldn't be playing with them anyway. Go with somebody who does have a positive reputation in the community and other people can vouch for. Um, If you're not brand new and you have some experience, then you kind of know what you're looking for anyway. Um, So in in the chat, there's actually a really good point being made by somebody who is new. Okay. Okay. So they said, I find it kind of terrifying to think of meeting others in a not online environment. Are there certain safety steps or groups that are reputable to know how to take those steps in real life safely? How would you even go upon finding people within your own community slowly in the right way? I feel that someone, say in my situation, may be able to be put in danger from not knowing what I'm doing. So I'm going to answer that one directly. This is why we preach about munches and sloshes, because that is that first step. Um, You never, I mean, the reality is you're never going to know somebody 100%, even when you're sleeping with them, right? So going to munches and watching how people interact, seeing how the community that they're attempting to, to be a part of reacts to them tells you quite a lot. You know, if you if you have somebody that shows up to a munch and they're the quiet creeper in the background and they approach you for play and you realize that, you know, people aren't even trying to interact with that person. That to me is is a red flag. But if it's, you know, you've got somebody that's circulating the room, you know, they seem to know people there. That's somebody that you can ask questions about. So when you approach them for play, you can actually find out something about them. Not just take them at their word, and that's that's the point about safety. Definitely, you know, it's it's hard when you're starting out because you won't have a reputation because you're an unknown, mm-hmm. and it's perfectly acceptable to say I'm brand new. Yes, I don't know much about anything yet. I'm still learning. If anything, so if you want to play with me, understand that I'm brand new. You know, that's absolutely a legitimate response. What wouldn't be legitimate would be somebody saying, well, yeah, I'm brand new, but why don't you come back to my place? Eh, hard pass. Thanks much. Yeah, I'm You know, or if they try to talk you into a hotel room right off the bat, that's a problem too. The reality is most people that are legitimately engaged in the community are legitimately trying to make connections with people. The first time you meet them is going to be hopefully an hour to two hours of conversation. You're not going to be diving into play. Even at a dungeon. God, I hope. So, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, you hope. But, I mean, ideally. And, like, for me, 
when I first moved to California, I didn't know anybody. I was experienced in kink, right. but I didn't know anybody out here. I didn't have any connections. My husband and I showed up to our first slosh, which is basically a munch at a bar. <laughs> and yeah, slosh. Um, we showed up and I introduced myself to pretty much any person that walked past me. Hi, my name is Knox. Can I get your name? How long have you been in kink? How long have you lived in this area? You know, what dungeons do you go to? You know, are there places, you know, is this a rope community or is this something else? And over time and going probably two to three times, I had people that were now approaching me saying, hey, I saw you at the last slosh, you know, and I heard some of the things that you guys were talking about. You sound like a pretty cool person. Can I talk to you some more? And that's that's they start developing organically from that point. So it's actually very easy to find people and to vet people safely, especially when you're brand new, because you want to keep it to those public interactions at first. You don't want it, you know, meeting someone for coffee is fine, but meet them in some place public, you know, it meets some, some place where, you know, your chances of personal risk are lowered. You know, I think, Women are far better at this than men in a lot of regards because like we're taught a lot of dangers about dating just inherent to our sex. Yeah. Men really aren't. But men have to be just as careful, you know, and a female dominant speaking. But the reality <laughs> is, as a female dominant, when I'm vetting a male submissive, they're putting themselves in a very vulnerable position to me. You know, yeah, will they be able to physically overpower me if shit went really bad? Most likely. But... The reality is, once I have you in restraints, your ability to revoke consent and things like that can be very impacted. Yes. So you're not going to run into that type of an interaction. Like, if I meet you at a munch, and an hour and a half later we're at a hotel room, that's a problem. Yeah. And that's not safe. You know, and so, and that's that's the thing, too, is the, I, I think the misperception is always about the submissive safety dominance have to be safe and protect themselves as well mm -hmm. because I want to protect myself against false well, accusations. That, that touches on like Edie was just trying to ask about. And it's yeah. something that you should know Edie is like myself and Knox are actually very strong advocates for Dom health in that regard and Dom vetting and safety because oh, it yeah. isn't a common thing and it should be. It absolutely needs to be. Because but you have just as many won't do it until they've been violated. Subs. And not enough people think about it that way. They're like, oh, the Dom has all the power and blah, blah, blah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, that's great. Except it's not. It's not. And dominants can have their consent know. violated just as quickly. Oh, absolutely. And it happens. I've all had the time. mine violated. I, I've actually had two consent violations as a dominant. I believe it. You know, and I it's. Do. And and that's something that people don't talk about because I'm supposed no. to be the Uber Dom, you know. Right, Dombot five thousand. Exactly, <laughs> and I have I have no, especially when I talk to other dominants, I have no problem saying it. I find male dominants don't talk about it as much, mm -hmm. um, you know. But men can be raped just as easily as women can. Absolutely. You know, it's 100%. not. You know, I've I've had scenes where what we negotiated went horribly off the rails because the male submissive got very excited and over exuberant and decided they wanted to do what they wanted to do, you know, oh. and it's not pleasant. No, 
<laughs> you know, but it's taught me to vet differently, you know, and that's kind of the shitty part about some of this is honestly, you have to make mistakes to learn about it. And I've made some mistakes, right? 18 years in kink. I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, but I've also learned how to vet better and more strongly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, it's, 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 there is no one size fits all when it comes to vetting. And I want to no. make that clear as well. Definitely... Each person has to be vetted differently. Um, and it, and your vetting may change depending on the circumstances. You know, your vetting may change depending on what kind of interaction you're trying to have. So that's something to, to kind of be aware of also. Um, and it's, you know, there's another comment that I think is very, very important. Um, the people that spread gossip can be just as damaging to a solid veteran in the scene. Um, I, I can't preach that hard enough, to be honest. Because the reality is somebody can have a very bad interaction for whatever reason and start putting that person on blast. And next thing you know, that person is basically excommunicated from the community and it wasn't founded. Yeah. I've I've watched that that happen a lot. And it's very difficult for those people to Mm reenter. But I mean, it's, well, I I think, go ahead. I was only going to say like, and the other side of that is someone who's been in multiple uh, communities at this point on the live side. Your mm-hmm. reputation does not carry with you unless you're at that pro level where you're invited to speak at the national level or you have biographies written or like even if you're well known for your community and maybe another community nearby if you have some overlap, when you move to another place, they don't know you from a hole in the wall on nope. average. You start as another green behind the ears wet well, just yep. like everybody else until you've proven you have any experience because they don't know you from Adam and they're being as safe for them as Mm -hmm. you need to be for you. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things I advocate is you don't, not that you can't find them, but you don't find the surface feeders in live communities the same way because there's no room for someone to have a harem. It immediately screams toxic red flags and would very quickly become disbanded because People don't act like that in real life the way they do it. Let, let's be honest for a minute. The average person in a harem or auction group, many of them are married, unconsensually yeah. cheating, that's whether true. they're poly or not. And that's the other side to that is, you know, I don't care if you're poly, you can still cheat if you're not being ethical with your partner and partners. But a lot of people at that surface level are usually cheating, lying, manipulating, and comfortably online because it's where they can hide. You can't hide live. If you have chemistry with someone in a live environment and you vet each other, they are quickly going to obviously be married or not. Like those things you can't hide in a real life situation. You can't groom someone to be a partner there the same way because it will get around and your reputation as an individual in the community will suffer. They will not suffer you to torture people because it makes the community's health poorer. And unlike the digital community where we're still working on that one person at a time, the live community is taking care of itself for a long time because it's had to. You can't just go to your job and tell your 
boss, you're a dominant. You can't go to the grocery store with a whip on your hip. People will notice, and they will judge. And in some cases, you will pay for it. So you do have to be a lot more careful in the um, in the digital community. And it means the live community as a whole is much easier to walk into because it's built to be walked into. Because yeah. there's enough safety checks on their side that there will be safety checks for you too unless you're choosing to ignore yours. Mm-hmm. Because they're already protecting themselves from you. At the same time, you walk into a community Everybody there is putting themselves at the same risk you are. There mm-hmm. is an instant, it's light, <laughs> but there is an instant bond there. As soon as you go in um, and you shake a hand and say, hi, my name is Kay. Uh, I'm a sadist and you know I like to play with, with chems. You know, boom, there's a bond. Hey, I like chem, chem play, you know, but I can't find anybody to do that. Great, we immediately have a connection. Now we have a conversation starter. Um, or you sit, you go to a munch and you sit in the back, and because you're brand new and you're you have this anxiety thing, which seems to be more and more prevalent now than it was, you know, ten years ago. I don't oh, get that. Kink is definitely full of social anxiety these days. Exactly, no exactly. Problem. But you sit <laughs> sit in the back and just listen, and until you get comfortable enough to chime in and become a part of the conversation or sit a couple of seats closer to the group. No, that's valid. And 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 that's okay too for for those who are coming in, you know, and it's been 2 years since you've had some kind of a social interaction with with a group of people you don't know. Um that's intimidating. I get that. So coming in and and listening and observing uh for uh, a little bit is fine. You know what? There's an A type in there that's going to say, "You know what? You've been here for for three weeks, and you haven't said word one to anybody." Hi, let me introduce you. And because yep. there's going to be that person in the group in the in the room too, and they're going to make you really uncomfortable for about 15 minutes until you become part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and but that's part of the beauty of a community is to it see is. somebody in the outliers that wants to be a part of it, but is afraid to take that next step and taking them by the hand and bringing them in. And a good community, a good healthy community will be able to do that for you. So don't, don't think that just because you have social anxiety and you're afraid of meeting new people and uh, you want this, but you're afraid of it. It's okay. Be there. 90% of the effort is just showing up and, and sitting your butt in a seat. You know, That's true. Right? And then yeah. you sit there long enough and somebody's going to come over and say hi. And, you know, your first interaction there is going to dictate everything else. Be friendly. Mm-hmm. Don't blow them off. Don't chase them away. Yes. Um, say, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm brand new. I don't know anything about anything, but I want to be a part of this. And that's perfectly perfectly valid. Well, and it's it's something we advocate here, and this goes full circle because we're we're wrapping towards the end of our our rounds here. Um, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, this server is a great example because we especially, but I I would venture to say most of people on staff and otherwise anyone with experience here in the server, and it's part of the reason we all get along. I don't care if you're inexperienced. Come, join us. Ask 
questions. Learn. Learn all the things, because we happily will talk about it with you till we're blue in the face. I won't speak for everyone, but education literally is one of my kinks. I will ramble for four hours, proof in point the last three, about <laughs> a variety of topics in order to get you more familiar, comfortable, and ethically safe in the kink community. Because I want you to have as good a time as I am. And the only way to do that is for us all to be on the same page when it comes to the important safety bits. So we can move on from the important safety bits and get with the kinky fuckery. But we have to start with the important parts, which is being an adult and checking mm -hmm. on people and checking to see if you should know them for a reason. All of those things matter, and they start by asking. Well, see, and that's why, you know, let's let's go ahead and round this off, because I think, especially for some of the, the new people that are listening in right now, being brand new. What are some questions that you feel you should ask when you're trying to vet someone? Because mm -hmm. I know the, the list that I have, but I'd like to hear from both of you first. Okay. So when I'm, I'm vetting somebody, um, the, the first questions I have are about them. Who are you? What are you all about? What are you looking for? Um, I know what I'm looking for. And it's basically two puzzle pieces trying to, to find the right match. And if some piece, some parts of it match, great. I'm not into pickup play. I don't do a whole lot of that. No. I will sit there and talk to a potential partner for several months before I pick up a flogger. And uh, there's a relationship developing there, and that's just how I, I do that. Um, not that I would be opposed to pickup play. I just never have ever engaged in that. Sure. So for that kind of, of vetting, um, I'm not the greatest resource. Uh, but I want to know everything about the person I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, even you know, what do they hope to get out of a, a scene or a relationship or what are they looking for as far as um, feelings go? When Nymph came to me, she says, yeah, I don't think I can go to subspace. Guess what? <laughs> Three scenes later, she she couldn't talk anymore after about 15 minutes and she's like oh, what yeah. the hell did you do to me <laughs> right um <Good> job. <laughs> right so i mean understanding what who they are and what they're all about and what their goals are and what they what their ideals are or what they're looking for that's really really important to me no uh, but it's but it's also important to know I am safe. I have, I have this standard. This is this is dumb, um, and this is really dumb. I have this ideal, and this is like the person I'm talking to, and they have to prove to me that they're not this person in every way, shape, and form and facet. Right? So, oh uh, God, what's that? What's that guy's name? Um, uh, he the big guy, porn star. He owns. He owns like he's like a billionaire porn porn guy. That so doesn't help as much as we. Uh, no, no, and <laughs> he slipped in my mind. Anyway, uh, mustache or no? Mustache. Ron Jeremy. Oh God. Ron Jeremy. Ron Jeremy. Bingo. Christ. All right. Damn. So, so the automatic person I'm talking to anytime I'm speaking to somebody new online, it's Ron Jeremy sitting behind a computer in a darkened room in torn underwear and and a stained wife beater T-shirt 
right? And his entire goal is to get as uh, to humiliate me as much as possible and to extract as much money out of me as, as, as he can. And that's this guy. That's the person I'm talking to. I don't care who it is. And then as I'm speaking to them, they show me that that is not who I am. I am, I am somebody else. And then I end up replacing this, this default picture of this person uh, with with this the person I'm actually talking to. And then, but that allows me to visualize and see what pieces am I missing? I don't know your motivations. I don't know that you're not out to, to humiliate me and, and extract money from me. I don't know that. You haven't shown me that. Valid. Or, you know, um, I don't know that you have a three, you don't have a three inch deep must, mustache, right? I don't know this. And, you know, I would, I'd like to know that, you know, that you're actually the person that you're portraying yourself as. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of my vetting process when I'm getting to know somebody online. Um, it's kind of silly and stupid. And I have had more than one person stop talking to me because I've expressed, Hey, this is how, this is my method. Uh, and they find it insulting. Um, oh. How is that insulting? I, I don't find that well, insulting it's a little at all. Thing. Yeah, like I mean, it's different. It's unique, but it's as unique as you are, so that doesn't make it wrong. I mean, mine's a little different because you know most of my vetting online was much later in life, mm. but vetting has always been very simple for me because the first thing out of my mouth is always, "What are you looking for? Like, what is your actual long-term goal point?" Because if we're just play partners, I don't need to ask that question because it's not going anywhere. But I will make sure even that question is had up front. Like, what are you looking for with me? Is it just for this scene? Would you like it to become a regular thing? Is there more behind it? What? Because I'm okay with all of those answers and all of them are valid. But I need a yardstick to go by to know what I should expect or not expect from you, regardless of my opinions as well. But the very next step is, okay... What does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, one that a lot of people don't think about is it, it's great to both want a long-term relationship or better yet, a TPE relationship that's long-term. Great. Or maybe casual play partners and nothing else and you won't even fuck. Great. There's nothing wrong with either of those situations. What does that right. look like? How does mm-hmm. that look like when you interact? Are you friendly? Are you intimate? Is there going to be more to it? Is it going to be more controlling? All of those things are based on perceptions. And mm-hmm. those perceptions are in your brain long before you put it to life. So asking each other about it's important. Knowing what that looks like, that outline of how your life is going to look or you hope it will look. And moving on from there, yeah, you'll talk about your kinks, but that's almost like window dressing so you have an understanding of what you're both going to find and what you're both not going to find. Or even if it just sets up for things to experiment with in the future, that's the last thing you should be talking about is your kinks. Because you probably didn't start talking because you hate each other's kinks. (laughs) (laughs) something caused the conversation to spark in the first place. And it wasn't just, oh, you have a nice rack or I like the bulge in your sweatpants. Yeah, that happens, but it doesn't happen as often in kink because we all recognize that that's just window dressing. It doesn't matter how pretty you are if you're not going to do what I need you to when I care and vice versa. Mm. 
And so it's a different scare. It's just a different space, but Mm -hmm. especially digital. Like the one thing that I do with vetting now that I think people don't automatically equate, like I've made the joke more than once and everyone's heard the running joke on the server now for a while that, you know, Siri and I are looking for a laundry slave. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's partially valid, but it's mostly joking because we're not really trying. We're not looking for something specific. If it lands in our lap, we'll talk about it and figure it out. But the big part of my vetting process for anyone who tries to get into my DMs and flirt that way, the big one that so far has been dropped the ball more than once is Syria. She is a part of, this is my nest. She's there. You don't get a choice. Whether yeah. we ultimately decide it's going to be hierarchical or not, she was already here. You will never mm-hmm. replace her. You will never be more than her, even if you're less or equal to, and ideally equal to at this junction. But if you ignore her completely, you can kiss your ass goodbye. Because <laughs> she is part of that equation. And if it moves to anywhere serious, she has to be. Because I'm not right. moving out. Right. I'm not meeting you on weekends once a month. I don't fucking do that shit. So if you plan to be a part of my life, you better plan to be a part of hers. And if you haven't figured that out, when I spell it out before you even get my DMs, you're vapor. That's a very easy thing that should not be missed as easily as it is for a couple of people already. And I won't get into those semantics. Some of them happened before I got this far. But if you're ignoring my partner, you can kiss your ass goodbye. <laughs> like, no, how do you think that's going to yeah. work? Yeah, you don't get to replace them. That, that's not how this goes. That's never exactly going to happen. And I tell people exactly. that before we even get to that point. Like, people see it in the server all the time because I talk to her on server. Anyone yeah. who gets into my DMs has usually been here a couple of days. By that point, if you don't know that she and I are solid, you're fucking ignorant. Because <laughs> everyone on server knows we play with each other online that way. And everyone has seen it. We want people to see it. We're happy with each other that way. Yeah, but vetting a couple is different than vetting an individual play partner. Oh, absolutely. Yes, it is. It absolutely I mean, like, is. I mean, like, the way... So the way Viking and I do it is kind of unique in that regard. Because, like, we have play partners completely separate from each other. And our play partners don't interact necessarily with he and I equally. Right. Like prime example, like I've got I've got several interactions that are strictly dungeon only, right? And I don't expect them to interact with him. I do make it clear that I expect you to be polite to him and show deference right. because that's my husband. But by no means am I asking you to engage in power exchange with him no. because of it. And and vice versa. Like for him, like I, it's funny, I do have a veto clause because to him, it's actually more important in his mind how I view his female play partners. He wants to make sure that I don't feel disrespected. He wants to make sure that I'm okay with the girl. Plus, my crazy radar is better than his. (laughs) Um, Valid. Yeah, I, I can see it fucking mile away. And I'm like, she's a beaten release. Don't give her your actual phone number. She can write you on or, you know, something like that. And well, see, if I was see, actively with, hunting in the same environment, I think our situation would probably be a bit different, too. So I totally get it. Sure. And now with so with Vixen, who is our slave, who is colored to our household, when she met us, she met us as a couple. 
Right. And she initially became play partners with him first. So I was very hands-off in the situation, but she and I got along, so it was an easy fit. Over the course of them playing and us getting to know each other, I started playing with her as well. And she even said she was, because she's dated couples in the pack, she knew how to navigate that. And so her approach was to vet each of us separately and then to vet us a second time as a couple. And, you know, and I had no problems because we were new to California, providing my contacts in Florida and saying, hey, these are the people that will give you an honest, fair shake of who we are and what we do, you know? And so, you know, I also began vetting her. So my first questions to her was, you know, what are you looking for? What are you into? What are your goals? What are your goals in having us dominate you? What are your goals in submission to us? And then I reached out to three of her play partners, one of which was an ex-lover, which I think is something that doesn't get talked about enough in kink is you absolutely can reach out to exes, even knowing that it may be negative because that's telling too. Um, You know, and there's a couple people on our server now that can tell you, you know, they can give their impression of how they vetted me and how I vetted them. For sure. But when I have a brand new submissive, regardless of their knowledge or what they claim to know, they kind of go through a mini college course with me. Because you have to prove to me that you know what you're talking about. So I spend the first couple of times we meet going over terminology, you know, going over, you know, different play styles and really drilling into, do you understand the power exchange that's happening in this form of play? Do you understand what the top and the bottom are getting out of this type of play? Now explain to me what you get out of it when you engage in it, you know, and some of the some of the vetting that happens with that, you know, I, I always ask them, like, okay, you say that you're a rope bottom. I'd like to talk to your last rope top. Because I want to know, how are you when you bottom? You know, are you a good communicator? Are you confident in telling me two minutes into a rope scene, hey, that knot is over a bad spot on my arm. Can we move it a few inches? Or are you just going to say, red, 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 get me the fuck out of my rope? You know, I need to know how you're going to respond to that stress, you know, and to me personally, vetting people online is easier than in person because it's less confrontational. Um, I recently had a play partner that I had to vet solely online that became an in-person play partner. And it was really hilarious because I intentionally reached out to someone who was shit talking that submissive. And I did it on purpose. You know, because, again, bad impressions are just as good as positive ones, right? Oh, yeah. But I wanted to know, is this just a petty-ass person? Or did the submissive actually kind of do something wrong? Right. Problem. And it was very glaring. (laughs) When I I reached out to this fellow female dominant, and this is going to come across ageist, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Um, She was 22 and saying that she was a dominant, highly experienced in the lifestyle. And, you know, so I asked her, hey, I would like to ask you to vet this person and give me whatever impressions that you're comfortable sharing. Her response to me was, why are you asking me? Well, that's telling, right? That's telling. Yeah. So I responded back with the reason why I'm asking is I'm a responsible player who's also ethical. And judging by your confusion, you've not encountered that before. 
Yeah. So yes, I was showing my age and being kind of shitty back to her and being a bit catty because, well, we're women and that's what we do. <laughs> but her response to me was, I mean, I guess I would play with him again, but like, you know, if you really need to ask me anything else, meet me at a munch. And I responded back with, you know what, what you said to me was more than enough. And I think we're done here. For sure. And I shared. And and the other thing, too, is when I vet someone and I get feedback, I share it with that submissive. Oh, this definitely. is what people have said about you. Explain to me why. Because if I'm going to take you on with all your issues, mm. you have to be able to justify how you're helping my household. You know, how are you somehow helping me achieve my goals as a dominant, right? Because that's equally as important. No, 100%. And the other thing, too, is you need to know what your standing is in your community. If you have a negative view within your community, I think you have an obligation to correct that. No, 100%. And I am, I absolutely tell people what I think of them as far as that goes. Like, I am not, anyone who's ever witnessed he who shall not be named who was here that long. <laughs> knows that I was not afraid to go toe-to-toe with them in public venue space in the server. like Absolutely. And it wasn't that I was aggressively nasty. It's that I refused to let him think he knew what he was talking about when he didn't. For the yes. sake of not hurting other people. And that was the bottom line. And in that capacity, I am a bulldog in most communities I am involved in. If I think you are unhealthy for my community, I will absolutely go out of my way to make sure you know it. Because I'm not going to let them get hurt by you. Not as long as I am breathing in the same space. (laughs) We have a responsibility to not let people get hurt. But I'm not afraid to tell you that. I'm not going to do it behind your back. Right. That's the difference. Is I will absolutely, even in your DMs, if I need to, like, you need to know I have a problem with you and here's why. Or, you know, so-and-so asked about you and this is what I told them. Like, I'm not afraid to do that. Right. Because that's how you maintain with each other as well, which is just as important. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. Closing thoughts? 100%. We should start wrapping up. We're well past the three-hour mark. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but... <laughs> uh, we got a late start. We did. We did. Closing thoughts by Jack Handy. <laughs> I mean, John Candy, whatever. Bad candy, good candy, all the candy. I I would say my biggest takeaway from all of this today, one is communication, 100%. Ask questions. Don't assume that you know things. Yes. Always ask. Even if you feel like you know, ask more, right? Don't take everything at face value. Ask more questions. Mm -hmm. And if it's not enthusiastic and informed consent, it's not actually consent. Yeah. Those would be mine. I, I keep it simple. My DMs are always open when it comes to server-related and kink-related things. If you are not comfortable asking in group, ask me. DM me a question. It doesn't matter how awkward you think it is. If it's not personal, which is obviously a whole different discussion... I will answer anything to the best of my ability or direct you to someone who can in a heartbeat because I want you to learn. I want you to reach my level of knowledge. And I'm not saying that like I'm some God's gift to kink or anything. God from it. I will always be learning too. (laughs) It's that I've had 23 years to pick up some shit. Let me help you pick up some of that. 
because I want you to have that same level of experience. I want you to be that level of confident in what you're doing because you deserve to have fun without the concerns just like I do from having known it enough to be comfortable with it. Yeah. To be ethical with it and not think twice about those bits because when you're still learning, you pick up all the ethical ends of things and get hung up on them because you have to be. You have to play it safe and worry about all those pillars because you're still figuring out how that works for you. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if I can help facilitate you navigating past that to the good parts, past the safety checks and the markers to where you can actually enjoy yourself and actually get into kinky fuckery, please. Mm -hmm. I hate to use the expression because I know how horribly pervy everybody is, but use the fuck out of me. <laughs> you know, deal with your questions. Hey. Ask away. I will help you. I will help you with whatever it is, whether it's consent, a violation, a kink, pick something. Even with oh, other God. staff members. Shit. Yeah. I may tell them I'm doing so because, you know, ethics and all that. <laughs> but I listen for a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, and God knows there's plenty of staff members that use me as a venting tool because I'm not afraid to just sit there and listen. It doesn't matter what level you're at. The point is mm -hmm. for us to be a community that's whole, healthy, and well. And I will do everything in my power to make that a thing. Always. So communication is, I have four uh, cornerstones, I call them in my house. These are below the foundation. They support the foundation of my house. Communication, honesty, trust, and respect. Those are my four yes. cornerstones. Now, I used to think that it all started with communication. And by all outward you know, views, it does. However, but before communication, you need to be honest with yourself. If you cannot be honest with yourself about some of these hard things, like, oh my God, I have been fantasizing about about golden showers for years, and I it's disgusting, and I am ashamed of myself, and I'm afraid to admit that, you will never realize that. You will never be able to communicate that to your partner unless you admit that and be honest with yourself about it. So self-discovery is is the key to communication. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what that self-discovery looks like. Everybody's on their own journey. Um, but that self-discovery is crucial and key. If you don't do it, you won't be able to communicate. Because you won't be able to communicate, some of these other dominoes are not going to be able to fall right. Um, so I think that is a, a point that I intended to say, and I missed uh, somewhere along the way here. Um, that happens. That's that. Yeah. Well, that self discovery is key. Um, For sure. To to follow up on the situation uh, that we spoke about earlier, um, how to communicate, mm -hmm. right? The actual communication port. We can we can talk about communication all day, uh, but the act of communication um, can be anything. For somebody like myself, who I will, I will find fifteen different tangents before I find my way back to my original point. Um, no I, I need notes. Exactly, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll need notes uh, for sure. If uh, if I'm really that distracted or nervous or something, um, I or my partner is uh, distracted or nervous or afraid of coming to something 
coming to me with something because it might have an impact on our relationship, write it down. Write me a letter. Send me yeah. um, send me an email and let me know this, Sarah. So, uh, in my fifteen thousand different unread emails, um, <laughs> but let me know that hey, I need to talk about something and things might not be right. Um, if if I'm vetting somebody and there's a potential partner and there could be, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and there are potential issues and things. Self-discovery is key. Uh, you want to make sure that you're, whatever you discover, and it's a, it's a, it's a path, right? You're traveling down this and you're going to discover something tomorrow that you didn't know today. And that's okay. Um, I, I discovered this about myself where I had this, this idea or I had this revelation or this epiphany. Let me know. Um, and then you need to, you know, for everybody out there with your partners, if you have that epiphany, um, there is a, a something a, like a, a measuring stick for communication that I use in my home. Um, and the more you don't want to talk about something, the more it needs to be talked about. And if this is, if this is, if it is this huge elephant in the room type of thing, then it needs to be talked about immediately. And it may not be pretty, it may not get resolved, but it needs to be discussed and it needs to be pulled out in the open and picked apart. And even if you need to resolve it little piece by piece, fine. Um, there may be consequences for that for that conversation, and it's it may be unpleasant in the moment, but long term it'll be a good thing. Whatever those consequences are, because you're getting this stuff out, you're getting it out in the open, and you're both making new. Uh, you're having this communication. You're you're having these uh, consensual conversations, and then you will come up with some new consents. You're consenting to a new situation or. Uh, adjusting your existing consent to incorporate these new ideas that have come to light. And all of that change is okay. Even if it is uh, relationship ending, all of that is okay. And it's scary and it sucks sometimes, but it's all okay. And it's not the end of the world. They're still going to be there. You may not talk to them uh, like you used to, right, after that. And you shouldn't if there's this big elephant in you should have something new and something different happen to this relationship to relieve that communicative communicative pressure. Um, if I'm not if I'm not making sense, please stop me. But there, <laughs> you you can't you can't let this thing that's that's getting in the way this elephant in the room. You can't let that get in the way of open communication. You need to break through that wall, open up. Even if you're scared, even if there's some stress there, it will be better when it's done. Mm -hmm. Right? Definitely. And you will Absolutely. have a better relationship when you're finished with this really super uncomfortable conversation. And it may not go as badly as you think. Usually it doesn't. Usually it's just <laughs> that initial, uh, no, oh my true. God, right? Oh my yeah. God, I don't. I, I just had this revelation and it's been eating my brain for the past three months that I've... I, I don't know how to approach it. Approach it bluntly. Agreed. I I I, I approach problems like that with a either a hammer, uh, if I'm feeling gentle, or a bulldozer. Um, 
because being blunt and upfront and honest is is the best way to go about it. Don't beat around the bush. Nah, for sure. All right. Well, first, I want to thank all our listeners. Those who have come in, left, whatever they happen to be, because life is a thing. Um, thank you for listening. You are literally the reason we are doing this. Uh, and I hope to have far more in the future, and I hope you all pick up something every time we do one of these, because that's kind of the goal. Otherwise, this is Dartax. This is Kay. This is Knox. Signing off for Leather and Limits Episode 2, and thank you guys all for coming and making this a thing. Absolutely love you guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys.